Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of Hyper 90 Zeitgeist Breakdown over here on Hey Listen Radio. And I guess it's been a while since we've posted anything. Real life's kind of gotten in the way. But uh, I guess I'm going to take this moment to sort of announce for all of our non listeners that we're going to be switching things up a bit. Uh, basically, our main shows. We try to put a lot of effort into them, uh, and we don't really have that much time. We have school and work and, and things going on, and it's we like to put as much research and time <laughs> and preparation into these things. I, I still have no regrets about watching every single James Bond movie just to do a podcast about Goldeneye. Where am I going with this? Oh, right, so basically our old show's... We're going to, they'll still be around, but we're going to do them less frequently. But what we're going to try to do is get some sort of monthly show where me, Jumper Cables, and Joe can just bullshit about whatever. Catching up with each other's lives, because that's basically why we do this, since nobody listens. And, you know, just whatever we've been reading and and watching or playing without having to be like, okay... You both got to play this game or watch a Let's Play or watch five hours of anime or or whatever it is. We don't have a title for that. I kind of just want to call it Hey Listen Radio. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So that's what's going on there. Um, what's going on here is I finally finished editing this this opus. <laughs> of a tribute to Metal Gear Solid 1, one of my favorite games of all time. Classic. This year's the 20th anniversary. That's crazy. This game and everything in it has shaped, I don't know about my worldview, but certainly the way I view fiction and presentation of story. That's kind of a barometer for me to judge everything else against. Not even just with video games, but storytelling in general. Me and Jump Cables get pretty nitty-gritty. All up in it. Put our hands all up in MGS1's butt. But, you know. Needless to say, spoilers for everything in the entire series. So if you haven't played it, well, it won't make any sense to you what we're saying. I mean, unless you just like conversations about... <laughs> the ethics of war and nuclear proliferation or non-proliferation. So yeah, joy. Oh, the other thing that I should say is that we we did lose Joe. Uh, somewhere in the middle, for better or worse. <laughs> Just kidding, we love you, Joe. But yeah, um, actually, I, I think I'm going to throw the audio of me yelling at him up now. <laughs> Get your black ass moving. Get in that car and drive. <laughs> Eleven. He has to make a stop. Oh, jeez. Stop. Where the fuck you going, motherfucker? I'm going to slap the <laughs> shit out of you, Joe. God. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Joe's got to get that crack hit. <laughs> Can I do 11? 
<laughs> why did he say 50 minutes if he knew I was asking when he could be home? Uh, um, hmm. well, what do you want to do? Should we pick uh, it up on another day? Um, or should we just finish now? Because you know this motherfucker can't do Tuesdays. talk about today we are gathered here today to talk about the 20th anniversary of metal gear solid on the playstation one i believe it came out on september 6th 1998 one of my favorite games of all time uh just brilliant in pretty much every single capacity i've played it countless times I want to say it's probably around 17, maybe 20. I've lost count of how many times I've played through this thing. I have almost probably like every line of dialogue burned into my brain at this point. I could probably just spend the next hour or two going through all of the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but So I, I replayed through this for this episode. I got the Meryl ending. And to this day, 20 years later, I'm still finding new shit in that game. Wow. It's, it's crazy. I remember somewhere around, like, playthrough probably 10, probably like 10 years ago, uh, I found the, that if you go into the snow field before the sniper wolf fight and look around, you can see the parachute where Liquid jumped out of his helicopter in. And it triggers mm-hmm. a cutscene where they talk about it. Mm. And, uh, this time, oh, what did I find? Oh, it was a whole conversation right after the Mantis fight when you're going through the caves with the dogs. I, I called uh, Miller, and him and Snake had a long conversation about dog mushing. Oh. And Snake sort of went into a bit more of, you know, you know, like, I'm a musher. This is what I've been doing for the last six years since the mm-hmm. Zanzibar incident. It's um, like, this is what I'm all about now. Yeah, so I was just shit like that just gives me joy every time I play through this thing. And this is even more exciting. It's a little, it's a minor thing, but in the blast furnace, I found that there's actually a fucking elevator in there that you can take from the top floor down to the bottom floor. <laughs> and I, I usually always I go left and I hug the wall and kind of duck underneath the the crane. Uh, so it doesn't knock you into the hot lava. But apparently there's just a fucking elevator. There's like a little cargo lift you can take down, which that blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a testament to the, I don't know, just kind of the genius of the design of that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, just presentation-wise, to have that much codex shit shoved in there, you can... Pretty much for any situation you can find yourself in, there's a codec conversation for it, and that, yep. that weaves its way in through the story. Um, and that's one of the reasons why a uh, 
be it a long play, a let's play, or whatever, watching this game can never compare to playing through it. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask about that. So you found this to be too hard even on easy. <laughs> I got well, it's not just the fact that I'm bad at stealth games, though that heavily factors in. Uh really I've been spoiled by everything post MGS one. The aiming was like a really big problem. Add to that the fact that I have a one of the reasons why I'm bad at stealth games is I have a tendency to panic. Um <laughs> specifically like the, the sudden jump from quiet to noise <laughs> I'll, like yeah. there's this like half second of me freezing up usually which I'll get shot like three times and then it's like okay now I can do dead I'm dead I, I died yeah. okay I remember that being very surprising to me the first time that I got spotted the first time ever I think I was on the heliport way back in the day and it's just such a jolt. There's that noise and the fucking exclamation point. Mm-hmm. And the music changes and the controller vibrates, which controller vibrating was kind of a new thing at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. very new. I was just like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a bit startling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, how did you play? Did you play through it? So I did actually play through the entire game a long time ago, but... That's why I, but I actually didn't have enough time to do it again. So I watched through the, the Let's Play and um, just watching it. It was a beautiful movie. That's what that was. It was just this is awesome. And just every time I was watching through all the different things, I was remembering as I was, when I, was when I played through the game itself. And no, it's just God, just watching it and just nothing else during this time during that time that it came out was even even close to what they were doing in that game they just the the script the conversations the just even the design of the game and the actual mechanics like no one was even thinking at that level for this type of game i mean it was really it's it, it, just watching it, it is amazing it's it's simply an amazing game as you said earlier it's just it still blows my mind how far ahead game design wise and just just creative design, everything about it, which is way, way before it's time. Yeah. I want to say that the gameplay is, this was kind of, this game was really balanced before kind of the, the jokes about it being a movie kind of started with two. Mm. Um, it's because the cutscenes and the, and the codex sequences were kind of out of control. <laughs> but, um, this game, gameplay-wise, it, it's it's very straightforward, and I kind of play through it in a kind of a linear fashion, which is... Actually, it's funny. Before I ever played this game, I was super hyped um, because I had a copy of Expert Gamer, and, mm. and it had like this walkthrough, and it was this really amazing walkthrough. I, I still remember the design. I'm sure I have it somewhere, but it just had all of the, the like codec maps were were laid out and it had all the lists of like the items and where things were and it had this little sidebar of like master miller's face he was saying all these things like oh snake you need to go here and do this thing and it was kind of developed like it was an in-world thing so i kind of i knew a lot about this game before i ever played it and those strategies kind of stuck with me um so I kind of play through it in the same way, 
every time and and like the the guide said it was like in the blast furnace go to the left and duck under the crane um and so i i've to this day that's i've done that every single playthrough and uh, i was playing on hard so i was running low on items and i backtracked and i was trying to find like more claymores or stingers or something like that and uh and i was kind of just checking things out and that's how i found the the elevator mm-hmm. um but but it's actually the gameplay is kind of sandboxy with all the shit you can do like like every weapon is and this is a testament to the pacing of the gameplay every weapon you get it at just the right time before you need to do something with it but you so you end up kind of using them as they're needed but really if you if you take if you look at all of your inventory it's a lot of shit to play with there's stuff that like i didn't have time to do like you can fuck around with guards and put like c4 on their backs you can lay claymores i never lay claymores for for the guards except for uh in the communications tower run but yeah it's it's just so well designed and balanced that i think people kind of forget that you have all these toys that like if you just want to fuck with the guards like you can <laughs> go back and use your sniper rifle like trigger an alert set up claymores set up c4 you know shoot nikita missiles all around the place and shit yeah the um one of the things i like most about it is that um i want to say games were starting to get we're starting to get better around this time around this time about not just making how you beat the boss binary find the pattern use the correct weapon um even like as early as the tank you you have more than one way to approach these things and the further you get into the game the more options open up to you like it encourages creativity in a way i really liked Mm -hmm. like one of the bosses that stood out to me was vulcan raven and like looking through the inventory it's like okay you can i think like it kind of points you in the direction of using the stinger missiles but uh the person i saw playing through it used the nikita was kind of like hitting them from around corners and also used the uh, claymores both of which worked really well if you didn't want to try and like confront them directly yeah that one uh this round i actually had a ton of claymores and it worked really well i got him mostly with the claymores and then just had to hit him with like a single stinger so you can kind of like hide from them a lot or mm-hmm. be a little more aggressive with the stingers i actually found out um i was kind of i saved there because i you can call uh campbell and naomi during every boss fight and they'll give you more background on each mm-hmm. of the, the the bosses that you're fighting yeah and uh i had forgot to to do that so i saved a new save instead of overwriting my old save so I could go back and, and call again. And mm-hmm. I was just fucking around, and I realized that you can actually hurt Raven with your machine gun, with the Famous, mm-hmm. which I never thought to do because it seems crazy. Because he's, he's yeah. so huge. He's huge, and he has a giant cannon, but you can apparently... He, he looks like he can flex bullets out of his body. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll definitely get shot if you're not careful, but I'm sure you can shoot him from behind, but... I didn't yeah. know that bullets even caused him any damage. Yeah, you got to work <laughs> some serious hit and run yeah. tactics, but yeah. yeah. That's another thing that it's just like, 
I, I didn't know that after 20 years. Um, Even though you could, uh, I was watching was it with Sniper Wolf and just mm -hmm. with a bunch of the other bosses, even though you could approach the, uh, the fight in multiple ways, it seemed like once you found that way that worked, it was pretty much just repetition at that point. I mean, you could just kind of keep doing it and doing it and doing it. You and can. it was pretty much over. If you find if you find like uh, something that works, you definitely can. I want to say some bosses uh, will kind of like add an attack or change their approach or add something new. Kind of like uh, when Psycho Mantis starts uh, waking up uh, Meryl. Yeah, has her attack you on top of uh, all his other stuff. Uh, the ninja one was a really good example of like stages and like escalating the difficulty where he starts kind of flipping around. He comes at you directly and then he starts basically teleporting. <laughs> yeah. 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 That so shit. Like when I played it, that shit, that, that teleporting shit used to fuck me up. <laughs> yeah. What you got to do is you got to run straight through him. Mm -hmm. Wait for him to punch, and then he'll start jumping twice. So you have to run again. But uh, mm -hmm. what got me screaming this time <laughs> was, <laughs> so I was I was playing on hard, so it was it was the fight with Liquid on top of Metal Gear. Oh God! And uh, yeah, that one was kind of because I don't know if it had been so long since I'd played it on hard or if. Cause I, I know I've gone, I'm pretty sure I've gone through it on hard before. Um, I actually remember looking at my save data once and being horrified to, to find out that I had been playing the game on easy for like a bunch of playthroughs. <laughs> 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 but, uh, I was playing on hard and, and it was weird because I, it was hard to get, a, for me to get a handle on all of his patterns. It was actually keeping me, guessing quite a lot and he was kind of kicking my ass for a while um but yeah this is kind of the, the whole series is known for its kind of iconic boss fights and i think mantis is the one that people kind of point to a lot as far as gameplay stuff just because there's a lot of fourth wall breaking that hadn't really been done in 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 games like this yeah, I, I love this. This is an instance of fourth wall breaking, if only because there's context for it in yeah. the world. Yeah, I'm plugging the controller, really? Or like, yeah, put the controller down. I'm gonna move it with my mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm reading. I'm reading your. I mean, your 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 brain. I saw that you like Castlevania. <laughs> yeah. I was reading the memory card. That was yeah. great. He also, and I didn't, this is another thing that I didn't really know because, again, I when I play through it, I play in sort of the same way every time and I know where all the traps are and shit. So mm -hmm. he'll actually tell you about, he'll say he's telling you about yourself, but really he's kind of analyzing data about how you've been playing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I so, remember him telling me I was a very prudent person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He always He always tells me, I'm a very methodical man, the type that always kicks his tires before he leaves. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that in the long play I watched. Yeah. Uh, he says some other shit, too. But... Yeah, like, if you don't save, then you're reckless. 
Yeah, yeah, he'll say you're reckless. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was saving more often this time because that's another thing that you can miss. Like, I'm not sure I've heard every single conversation with Mei Ling because I, I don't save all the time. But, mm. but she has, like, different dialogue. Um, that's right. I, I forgot. I meant to save during the last stretch of when you're um, after you beat Metal Gear and you're racing out because she has a a nice conversation where she's kind of sad because the colonel's been taken away and snake is like, do me a favor and make a backup of everything that happened here. And she's like, yeah, I'll do that. But uh, I missed that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is also kind of unique to the series in that it's the only, I think it's the only metal gear game off the top of my head that has multiple endings. Yeah, I think so. Did four have no four only had one. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Which is Yeah. It's um because I remember for the longest time, like they kind of faked this out when two came out. Yeah. Because like, there was like the big the big discussion on like which ending happened. Yeah, nobody really knew. Um and when you see Snake show up in that like stealth camo, you're like, oh no. <laughs> That's right, but at the end of the game, he has the bandana. Yeah, infinite. <laughs> I wish the audience could see me like point to my head and say "infinite ammo," because <laughs> I like I got hyped for that for some reason. Yeah, the uh, the the quote unquote bad ending is. Um, it's also interesting too because it does have canon information in it that you don't get from the other ending. Mm-hmm. So, which is that uh, Campbell admits to Snake that Meryl's his daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you wouldn't, like, yeah, if you didn't know that, then you're not going to hear about that till way later in the series. Yeah, <laughs> years later, uh, 10 years later. Wow, <laughs> in, Jesus. In MGS4. A lot of waiting. Yeah. Uh, so how... So how long was this game in development for? Do you do you know? Because I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here. I mean, there's the script, there's the design, there's the you know the dial. I mean, it's just, there's so many different things here. Do you happen to know how long it took them to make this? Uh, I don't know that. I was looking at something earlier, and it was just like a documentary, just video of them putting it mm. together. But I don't know how long it took them to make this. That's a good question. Yeah, because there's just so much. There's like so much going on in this game. I mean, it's just I I can't imagine it took them (laughs) uh, less than maybe three years, possibly more. I mean, it's just because what came before this? What was what Metal Gear game was before this? Uh, one and two. It was Metal Gear Two, in mm. let's see, Kojima originally planned the third game to be on the 3DO in 1994. Um, Yoji Shinkawa did some concept art back then, uh, so he did Police Knots on 3DO. Development for MGS began in mid 1995. Oh wow! Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I was looking at the behind the scenes and it was kind of like all the stuff that he was known for 
doing later in games, like having a military advisor and, and kind of that level of training and kind of big budget development stuff, he kind of started doing then. He had the developers look at like SWAT footage and there's, there's video of him uh, banging open a door with a battering ram. He <laughs> <laughs> really gets in there. Yeah, there's a lot of funny pictures of Kojima on the internet. There's one of him for, I remember when they were making Snake Eater, or maybe it was MGS4, in like full camo, like reloading an AK-47. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, this game must have been a huge production. I mean, and the costs, I, I'm sure, were very high. This makes me wonder why they put so, I'm not saying this in the mean way, like why they put so much faith in him. Well, he he established himself uh, in Japan long before this. Um, I mean, Metal Gear was sort of known out here, but uh, much bigger. Probably more known in Europe because we didn't get the NSX, Mm -hmm. but Europe did. Yeah, no, we got Nintendo ports. Really, we know Kojima through ports of his things because... You know, I want to say the states didn't get snatched until it came out on the uh, Sega CD. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, like for 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 most of the U.S., uh, we discovered Kojima with MGS, but he had a lot of successes before then. Yeah, Police Knots and Snatcher, and his first game was called Penguin Adventure, I believe. <laughs> oh, uh, um, that may have been canceled actually <laughs> I think I think um, well yeah he was like assistant director I can't remember the name of it um, I remember there was a documentary that documentary series on uh, I can't remember what channel it was but uh, he was inter- yeah and he was being interviewed and I think he said the first thing the first project he ran was a baseball game that he kind of fucked up because he didn't know how they kept score or something like that. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Well, or like know, he didn't know how to code the scoring. It was something weird uh, like that. So did Kojima start out as a designer or was he an artist or a programmer? Cause usually they seem like they, cause I need, like, I, I think, think Miyamoto was a, was a programmer when he came. No, he was a designer when he came in. No, he was a programmer. So yeah, you think he was a designer? I don't think he was a, programmer he Mm -hmm. was interested in film the way i've heard him tell it is that he Mm -hmm. he kind of just applied for a gaming company he was kind of like i'm not sure what happened with film i I don't know if he wanted to study it or if he had tried or i can't remember what he was doing but i know someone suggested i can't remember (laughs) i think he (laughs) Well, I'm looking at like uh, his uh, catalog of stuff, and a lot of it is either designer, writer, or director. Yeah, I think so. It's probably designer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he he came into the fold as like a designer slash planner, um, Mm -hmm. kind of overlord. Mm. (laughs) But um, kind of like yeah, either being the the force behind it or just kind of like creating a blueprint for someone. Yeah. I mean, really what he was doing was directing, but I don't think that that was a word that was really being used. No. And he just kind of kept doing his thing and was just more and more ambitious. 
famously uh, the first Metal Gear. Um, it was originally going to be like an action-oriented game, but mm. you could only the MSX could only handle like two or three sprites at once on screen. Mm-hmm. So he he was inspired by the Great Escape and decided to make it a game about sneaking into an enemy base. Mm. And mm-hmm. then, and I guess it's important to talk about Metal Gear and Metal Gear Two especially um, as the precursors to to this game because yeah they also create a lot of context that they. I think they do a good job of imparting the needed information, but um, well, they do. I think you get a lot more if you play the first two games. Yeah, I mean, from a gameplay perspective, MGS1 is almost, they're almost, it's almost a remake of a remake. Mm. The ideas, um, the gameplay ideas conveyed in, in one are really refined and stepped up big time in two. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, in MGS one, it, it really a lot of it is very similar. Like there's paths that you can't walk on because they're electrified, and you need to use a remote control missile to shoot a panel so that oh, you yeah. can walk through it. It's shit like that. There's a ton of stuff like security cameras. All that gameplay is kind of there, especially in Metal Gear two. It's really mm-hmm. Metal Gear two is a masterpiece in my opinion. Mm -hmm. it looks really good not just like the games but like even like all the art assets are really uh i don't know something about the colors on it just kind of pop in this really good way yeah they do it's a the first metal gear is kind of drab looking and then the second one really the design was stepped up and you kind of have more full color it was on the msx2 so Mm -hmm. they could do more stuff with it um yeah like like the art in that is really aching to have like a comic book adaption yeah uh and so metal gear and metal gear the first metal gear is very bare bones um in terms of story like it's, yeah it's kind it's of, very straightforward but i feel like uh inspirations there are a bit more uh clear it's a bit less inspired, I guess, maybe. Um, well, I, I don't know. It was a different time, but it, it's really just kind of context is provided and there's radio calls, but they mm-hmm. usually tie very closely into the gameplay. And and it's mostly gameplay related, like, mm-hmm. like creating context for the player to do things. Like, oh, Snake, I forgot this thing that's about to kill you. Here's yeah. How you get around it. Yeah, but I mean, like, the context of of go rescue gray fox oh here's gray fox hey snake thanks for rescuing me bye (laughs) (laughs) um and then metal gear 2 is kind of where you really get to see kojima really step it up a notch Mm -hmm. kind of you you see that cinematic storytelling influence in there um and it's all 2d sprites but in terms of like he had shit to say in that mm-hmm. game about war and that's kind of the first time you ever get to see big boss talk about his philosophy on on war and how fucked up and crazy he is mm-hmm. um, which gets explored a lot more later and then this game is really where 
it was kind of like finally like I, I think Kojima was waiting to do something like this mm-hmm. um, you know fully th- rendered 3D cutscenes um, in engine which was kind of very unique at the time I, f- mm-hmm. I feel like and this is a lot of people talk about Metal Gear Solid 2 as like the first postmodern game um, and I would argue that Metal Gear Solid 1 is actually it might be the first quote unquote modern game or modern action game mm-hmm. just because it pioneered so much shit and did it better than things that followed it um, it kind of set a standard that a lot of people got annoyed with later um, but, but it, it, it kind of got abused like the, the format yeah well the format before this was kind of like the JRP format of progress through the level and then we'll throw this you know pre-rendered cutscene that looks prettier than everything else that Mm-mm. moves the story forward and you're lucky if it has subtitles but there's definitely no voice acting um but this was super just ambitious just the amount of voice acting i'm not i'm not sure i was Star Fox before this Star Fox 64 they had voice acting yeah but was it before or after this oh uh, i think that came out in 1997 yeah i think it was 97 or 96 i i know it was right around there Star Fox 64 97 so they it was probably in development around the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of... It, it definitely established this concept of... This new concept of progress through the level and, like, here's a cutscene, but, like, all the time, like, let's make the story as important as the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And then integrate the two whenever yeah. you can. yeah. The one thing I, I really did like about Metal, uh, <clears throat> the the game and how they did their whole, I guess, cutscenes is that they were basically just in-game cutscenes. Yeah. They weren't doing the whole crazy, like, you know. It wasn't the stop Final Fantasy. Movie. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the Final Fantasy thing where we switch over to this amazing, like you're saying, like, incredibly beautifully rendered, uh, you know, anim- animated movie or whatever. But this, you just, it was very seamless. It was everything kind of just played into each other. It, yeah. it still felt like you were playing the game, not suddenly just, yeah. So I, I really appreciated that. I mean, that's the, one of the reasons why I'm pretty sure people love the Uncharted games is that it's all very seamless. It just feels like one one big, you know, just yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 the uh, up point to stay in engine throughout. Yeah. And I want to say Uncharted's a, a good example of kind of the evolution of of what kind of started with Metal Gear Solid One. As as as, as MGS One kind of balanced the gameplay and cutscenes just by like sheer pacing, like letting you play this much and letting you watch this much. And then Kojima himself kind of went lopsided with here play a little bit and then watch a lot. But Uncharted kind of took that pacing and perfected it by letting you play more. And it's it's an interesting balance to see other developers, how they've tackled it over the years, because then we had sort of QTEs kind of take over 
mm-hmm. for a while. God of War kind of thing. And the uh, Shinmu. Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. And then every game started doing that. <laughs> and then you had the uh, David Cage games that are all QTD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's sort of weird. Like I don't know if I'm giving too much credit to MGS1, but it is this very... It's, it's like this linchpin where... I'm sure somebody else would have done something like this, but I don't know. It's a highly influential game, and there should be proof in just how many stealth games came out after. Yeah. I mean, it really kind of established stealth as a genre. Yeah, it did. I mean, it it brought it to prominence. Like you said, the stealth genre come to prevalence, and then to see that kind of bounce back into Metal Gear... Splinter, I remember when Splinter Cell came out, there's a quote in EGM where Kojima was just blown away by it. And he was working on MGS2 at the time, and he was, he just said straight up, he was like, if I could just make my whole game like Splinter Cell, I would. <laughs> because really? that, wow. that shit is amazing. Yeah. He has no problem like expressing his envy of other people's successes, but to that end, he's also quick to to that and he's quick to acknowledge that other people do shit what as well as him if not better he, he famously suffered from suffered from motion sickness for a while so he was i remember he was really impressed with like the grand theft auto games when those came out i think i feel like he wanted to do a little bit more open world stuff with mgs4 and then there were some engine limitations and stuff that got in the way but he finally got to do it in five but i know he was impressed by that so I know for me, the I was first introduced to the whole Metal Gear series actually through um, Sons of Liberty. That was my first Metal game, uh, Metal Gear game. Then the Metal Gear Solid, the first one, was my second game. And then I actually um, went into the so – I, I guess I went backwards with everything. Then after I did the first one, I played the fourth one. And that so – I was kind of all over the <laughs> now, place. I'm just curious to see, like, uh, Lionel, where did you start with it? Well, uh, before it the very, the before my question, I got to ask you one. Uh, your playthrough of one, was that through the PlayStation 1 version, or did you play Twin Snakes to experience it? I did not play Twin Snakes. I played it on the, when I had my PlayStation. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, I after I played... Metal Gear Solid 2, I was just so amazed that something like this even existed that I had to just go back and like say I wanted more, <laughs> wanted more of it. Mm-hmm. So I, when I played Metal Gear Solid and um, I did not play Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2, mm-hmm. but, I, but then after that, I skipped Snake Eater, which I know was probably the biggest mistake ever because you guys <laughs> said that the game is amazing. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you owned it. I know. <laughs> Then I waited for number four, and I played that all the way through, and I actually really, really enjoyed it a lot. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm kind of weird in my order yeah, with it's it. It's fine. You still played it. Yeah. But but is metal like hearing you guys talk about the first two? They sound like I'm missing out on something here. Should I go back and play those? Uh, have, hey, you haven't played them, have you? Jumper cables. Played what? Metal oh, Gear the first One two. and Two. Yeah. Um, no, they're on that list of things I keep meaning to do alongside the Game Boy game. Uh, so Ghost Babble's really good. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say this about Metal Gear 1 and 2. Metal Gear 1 
is tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just tough because it's a lot of. Uh, it's Nintendo, or I mean MSX, but well, same difference. And I don't mean that in terms of like a difficulty standpoint, although kind of. It's just a little bit tedious for not that much reward because mm-hmm. you're not really getting a ton of story. Um, yeah, you are a little bit. Um, it's a lot of gameplay, and the gameplay's good for its time. It's some of the stuff's really janky. Like, there's a lot of running back and forth. I feel like, and yeah. it's just little shit like um, the way the card system works. It's like like an MGS one, you just equip whatever card you have. Um, well, even that. Even in like MGS2, I think if you have acquired a card from somebody, you don't even need to equip it. You can just walk through a door, I think. Yeah. Um, I know they did that in, in some games down the line, but in Metal Gear 1, it's like you have to get to a door, and I don't know that you can even see what level it is, so you have to go through your inventory, choose a card, and then leave your inventory, see if it opened the door, and then just keep... You have to keep trying each keys. It's like you're a janitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, janitor in a horror movie where the killer's after you. Yeah, so it's. I used to try and. <laughs> I think I only did it a couple times, but I used to, to try and play through the entire series mm-hmm. uh, once a year. Uh, and obviously, more games have been added over the years. But when I think about doing that now, I'm, I'm, my brain is kind of weird in that I'm a completist. And so where when it when I think about the entire series, I always go I'm like, eh, do I really want to play Metal Gear One again? Mm. It's kind of a pain in the ass. And and do I really want to go through Peace Walker again? It's just Peace Walker is a really weird one because once you create a save file and go through that, you kind of have to go back and like select missions and it doesn't really play out the way it did there's lots of stuff missing if you do it that way like mm-hmm. you have to start a new save because of the way things are presented to you as you unlock them yeah um metal gear 2 is definitely worth playing like i i think a lot of the issues from metal gear 1 are corrected and there's just way more reward in terms of story it's just filled with story and interesting characters and interesting lore and interesting conversations and is that is that where we adhere because i know all throughout metal gear like just watching the the video the play of playthrough of it it constantly talking about the past and zanzibar and everything that yeah that was the uh is that the zanzibar incident or something like that? yeah yeah is that all talked about with big boss and whatnot in Two? Those yeah, those are the events they're talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's yeah, that's where the story got really heavy. They do refer to Outer Heaven a lot, and that's Metal mm-hmm. Gear One, and and the first time he met Gray Fox, that was Metal Gear One. Yeah. Which, it's funny because there's there's so little to grab onto in in Metal Gear One, but in Metal Gear Solid, the way he talks about like just the first right. time he met Gray Fox is just like. I feel like I'm fucking there. Like it just. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because every time they talk about like Big Boss, because I hadn't played those games the first time I played this. You know, they keep mentioning Big Boss and yeah. and all the shit that he did. Like all these characters seem to like know him and have a history with him, and mm-hmm. and the cyborg and 
Naomi and Snake have this history with him, and it's so fascinating to me. Yeah, I think all the primary characters have a connection to him. Well, yeah. I mean, like, basically, the entire game is revolving around him in some way, like, trying to get him to, like, his, just get a piece of him to come back. So they, yeah, like, yeah, a literal piece of him. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, I mean, as I was listening, like, throughout, throughout the whole entire thing, just listening to them as they kind of just the way they speak of him as if he's just like this God-like thing where he was just the ultimate soldier where everyone, like he's just the perfect being. <laughs> I just wanted to know it's more and more. to be like. Yeah, I just really, really wanted to know about the past and because like just the way they say it, it's just like, he's like this mm-hmm. God-like figure almost. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that's, so there's a lot of stuff that's in Metal Gear 2, like, the it it sounds really cool when snakes like the last time I saw Great Fox we were fighting barehanded in the middle of a minefield. Yeah, which I remember when I heard that I was it's the raw shit I've ever heard. Yeah, but it, it, when you play it on on the MSX, it's just this little square. It's more it, like a Japanese death match. And there's little where, where like the the sides explode. Yeah, there's little mines on the outside and you're in this box and you're running around in a circle trying to punch this guy <laughs> very underwhelming yeah yeah like, yeah like fucking big boss was fucked up he just wanted this like really badass wrestling match so it's like yeah that'll be the ring and the sides will explode and yeah fight yeah, yeah. Uh, and the thing that just got me completely hooked is when snake had mentioned that he killed him with his like he he's the one that killed big boss or something i just wanted to like what like what you i please just tell me just stop the gameplay i just want to hear more just keep talking just talk for hours and hours just let me know because i keep hinting at all this stuff that happened i want to know and it's just oh drives me crazy yeah and so that's this stuff just I, i think i was probably I was 12 when this game came out and I would I was obsessed. I mm-hmm. I, I didn't I couldn't play it cuz I didn't have a PS1. I, it was probably like a year or more before I got one and got my hands on this game. I would draw pictures of myself screaming saying with a little bubble that was like I need a, a, a specifically a DualShock PlayStation 1 <laughs> with a copy of Metal Gear Solid. I, I'm pretty sure I was drawing a lot of pictures of Snake. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird. It's the only thing that I've been like so obsessed with before I ever even got my hands on the thing. So you sound like Lionel with no more heroes. I, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, there's that. But I was about to say, Mike, I don't know. You you were kind of fixated on Spider-Man for a minute before you went and got that PS4. Uh, yeah, I so it's it's funny. I have all the pieces of the puzzle in my house now where I could play it, but I... I haven't had time to yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Mike, I'm actually really curious. What part of the the game was like? What part made you so excited for it? Was it Snake himself? Yeah. What was the story? The, yeah. Um, it's hard to to put all the things in order or the way I came across. There's that that issue of Expert Gamer, and a really cool drawing on the cover of Snake. And just the way they were breaking it down and it sounded like so cool and like military and it's like you're one guy sneaking through a base. It just seemed cool. Um, I don't know if I saw that first or I remember uh, how long ago this was. (laughs) I 
I was like at a church youth group and somebody they had a PS1 there and uh, cause you know you gotta hook them somehow um, <laughs> gotta keep uh, gotta keep them occupied yeah. when you're not yeah, except, telling them about the lord except Christ and get a free playstation 2 <laughs> uh, that's a great meme classic but I remember I think I had already seen it at this point but I remember the intro coming up like that's probably the most iconic intro to a game I've ever seen and I, I don't mean like the 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 attract screen where they kind of go over the mission though that's cool too because um, that wasn't in the demo what I was seeing was the demo when you're actually he swims in and that mm-hmm. music is like all and shit and then yeah. he goes up on the uh on the dock and then and this is a good example of something that i want to say that naughty dog kind of expanded on but it was the first time i ever saw a game presented to me in a way that was a game but was stealing from a movie but also both at the same time was is when you're playing through that first dock sequence the credits are appearing over the screen yeah. as you're playing and to me yeah. that was just fucking mind-blowing it's pretty yeah. good and then like yeah the title card coming up as you're on the elevator yeah <laughs> so amazing that's just oh I, I think for me when i when i like i said i was introduced in the metal gear through metal gear solid 2 and that opening scene just him with um, the whole running with the, uh, I guess the raincoat on and just the cigarette. And I was just mm. like, Oh man, I watched that probably that opening 20 or 30 times. I watched it so many times. It's just that, that God, they do amazing opening scenes and it's just, that got me hooked. I mean, I was like, yes, I please show me more <laughs> after that. So the presentation is just in all these games is just, it, Oh, it's just amazing. It's just simply amazing. He's, I, I kind of just, just want to shake his hand. It's weird because um, I, I played the games, but I didn't really get super hyped for a uh, Metal Gear game till three. Really? And yeah, I mean, something about the uh, prequel element was kind of really interested me. But the moment it hooked me is when I saw the Cobra unit because. Really, I think the thing that fascinated me most about MGS was when I discovered who Foxhound were and that they all had these like highly distinct abilities and equally distinct personalities. Like, I think one of my favorite parts of watching the uh, the playthrough were the weird moments where you get to hear all the uh, Foxhound me- members bicker with one another. Yeah. <laughs> And the Cobra unit just kind of like stood out. This is like I, I I'm uh, finding having a hard time finding the words for it. Just um, it's something about like well, I guess one of the things that kind of uh, makes made military not as interesting to me, even though I was uh, fascinated with all things like combat, was how no pun intended uniform everything is everything literally everything and everyone literally looks the same yeah there's nothing to really stand out there wasn't really a point of fascination unless you're already into this stuff and i guess i'm I'm not i'm not wowed by efficiency (laughs) yeah but uh uh so when you have (laughs) these characters come out and they're like 
so distinctive. Um, you know, it was kind of like, uh, kind of like GI Joe for adults looking at those characters. Yeah, kind of. And the, the Cobra unit had the, I guess maybe on top of just the characters being distinctive, had the perfect amount of like military and superpower for me. Yeah. The Cobras were interesting. I want to say, I was going to mention earlier that for how refined MGS one is, it's kind of, it's, it's just so good Um, Mm -hmm. for, for a number of reasons, storytelling wise and presentation wise. um, It's kind of before a lot of things about the series kind of spiraled out of control. Mm-hmm. And things kind of spiraled out of control in a lot of ways very slowly. Yeah. Um, and it kind of just all went insane by MGS4. But the... It kind of spiked at 4. Yeah. And uh, started fluctuating again till 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 5, till Phantom Pain. Yeah, I want to say the closest balance um, that it ever struck for me again... And it kind of hit the the same feeling as playing MGS one was with Ground Zeroes, mm-hmm. um, but more specifically, when you talk about the boss characters, I think I don't think any of the other games really topped um, this game. Yeah, no, I'll admit that. Like they got far more. The boss characters got way more depth here than any of the other bosses across all the games. I mean, I think the only person, only boss character that really gets as much play as the characters here is the boss in three. Yeah, and she's they they struck a good balance there, where she was such an interesting, compelling character, um, but her kind of her unit wasn't that interesting. They they were a little bit, but you didn't get to know them that much. Um, yeah, and then just presentation wise, this was. They just did this one the best. Um, in terms of how you encounter them in the story and when you actually fight them, because I it always I remember just being so disappointed in MGS four uh, when you fight these with the Beast unit and oh the Beauty and the Beast unit and yeah then, and then after it's over, Drebin calls you and explains and he read basically reads you a summary. <laughs> Yeah, and it just doesn't have the same feeling of watching Snake trying to comfort a dying woman in the snow that he's just killed. Mm-hmm. Um, or or Mantis telling Snake about this trauma that they share that's similar. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or like Vulcan Raven warning him that those ghosts will haunt him forever. Yeah, they all had something to say to him. And I feel like none of the other, not many of the other villains had much to say to the protagonist. Yeah, um, again, I, the only one was really the boss. Yeah, the boss, uh, Solidus had an interesting relationship with Raiden. Oh, yeah, there's that. It wasn't that interesting, though. It wasn't as good as it maybe should have been. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to think, but this really... And, by the time you get to five, it's just really... Yeah, yeah there's also the build-up. Because I want to say as you're like approaching this character, you'll start to... They'll start to uh, pop up a lot more, and you'll start to get more and more from the... about the characters via codec. And even more during the boss, especially if you're getting killed a lot. Yeah. 
you're just going to be calling for calling, you know, everyone on the codec for like any tip you can get, which in and of itself was a pretty uh, unique in-game way of offering like help. Yeah, I really like that. But in terms of writing, that was another thing that struck struck with me because it's been it's probably been in like maybe five years since I've done a playthrough of this. Maybe a little less, but it's been enough that I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm not really like maybe this isn't as I knew it was. I wasn't going to not like it, but but I was just there was a little part of me that was like, oh, maybe it's not that like maybe the writing's not as good or it's, it's it won't be as good. But it was it was mind blowing. And in terms of the writing, this game definitely stands out just the way it's written, the way people speak. Mm-hmm. And and I mean that it stands out apart from not just other games at the time, but in the entire Metal Gear series. And I think it's really kind of it bums me out a little bit because I know the reason why is because their translator um, was Jeremy Blaustein, and he did an amazing job of taking the Japanese words, whatever they were, mm-hmm. um, and people have talked about kind of different meanings um, behind certain certain things like Dr. Clark has referred to as a man here and mm-hmm. later in the canon we find out that Dr. Clark was actually paramedic from MGS3 which was kind of heartbreaking yeah but they refer to her as a man here and apparently the original Japanese they use a general gender neutral term mm-hmm but so there's it's or it may of, have been like they referred to her by her position yeah so it's kind of a it's like a the series after one i think the story i've heard is that kojima heard about some of the changes in the dialogue and was like fuck that we're not going to use this guy again i want someone who's going <laughs> to translate my shit as specific as possible and you lose a lot of character that way Mm-hmm. A lot of the dialogue feels kind of weird in the rest of the series. But here it's just from the way it's acting, acted to the way it's written. Like when Snake's telling Meryl about what it's like to kill someone for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, you always feel sick when you kill somebody for the yeah, first time. Yeah, he says a bunch of different Jeez. shit. And I remember watching that and being like, it's like, whoa, what the? This is fucking crazy. Yeah, they they really hammer home snake like being like a murder machine (laughs) and it like not being pretty i was i was listening to a podcast about uh solo the other day and they were talking about how that movie kind of pon solo has this arc in solo where Mm -hmm. he's kind of torn between these two worlds of well not two worlds but those you know his conflict is am i going to do the right thing Yes, I am going to do the right thing. And of course, he does the right thing at the end. But it makes it kind of redundant in A New Hope because that is his arc. And it's really good there. And that's where mm-hmm. most of us saw Han Solo for the first time, where it's like he's a scoundrel. But in the end, he does the right thing. So you can kind of lose that between games. And I th- and I think this this game, not just in, in, in terms of how much it, it referenced back and owed a lot to Metal Gear 2, but it also kind of carries this this character arc of Snake. Like, he's very... You don't really get to know him in Metal Gear 1 that much. In Metal Gear 2, you get to know him a lot more. I mean, it's named after him. Yeah, and he's... You 
kind of get to see that he's broken and he's traumatized with this whole big boss thing. And then, so when you meet him in this game, he's very, I have a soft spot for snake in this game because he's very, it's, he's just so cynical. It's very guarded. He's just, too. he's just, yeah, extremely guarded. He's just the most cynical that any protagonist has ever been in any of these games, even more so than, than big boss. I do like when it's revealed that like a lot of that stuff is kind of like him bullshitting though, specifically the way he turns around anytime, like all the reveals associated with the cyborg ninja are kind of like these brief moments where actual snake will pop out of him for a second. What do you mean? I mean, like he's so casual in describing to Naomi. It's like, yeah, we had a fight in a minefield. Shit happens. And the moment he realizes he, you know, that's him, he's losing his shit. And then the way, like, think about that line and then think about the way he's talking to him right before uh, Ninja tries to take on the Metal Gear. Yeah, it's interesting because really what's happening there is he's like re-encountering this kind of mentor character that he learned a lot from but then had to kill and then... Mm -hmm. But his his whole arc is is pretty interesting. He does open up a lot by the end of the game. Um, yeah, it's a weird switch, and I feel like Meryl's kind of the 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 facilitator of that. I want to say she's the primary one. I w I want to give some credit to Otacon too. Yeah, since she she's basically pushing him around the first couple of times they interact, and by the end of it, he's actively encouraging him. In ways that I don't just think are for the mission. Like the way he keeps he keeps iterating over and over that we're counting on you by the end of it. And I feel like that's him trying to build Atacana up more than just we need you to do this for us. Yeah. I think the kind of the epitome of, of Snakes where he is at in life at the beginning of the game is in his con early conversations with Meryl, which he kind of bounces around a lot. Um, I feel like he's very playful with her over the radio earlier, mm -hmm. like before she unlocks the the door to the to where you fight the tank, and then by the time you meet her her later, and she's she's kind of, I guess she's kind of he's what he's really reacting to is like a fangirl, like she's like kind of fangirling out on him in the mm -hmm. bathroom, and he's just telling her like, this shit isn't glamorous. Yeah, you had to kill people. This is war. We can die. Our lives are riding on this. And then after the Mantis thing, I think you can tell he's like very guarded. Like he's happy she's okay, but he's also like, I don't want to get attached to this person. I don't want to lose somebody else. Yeah, when she's she's starting to it. she starts to ask questions about his life, and he gives those those answers. I love those answers that he gives. He's like, do you have family? No, but I was raised by many people. How old are you? Old enough to know what death looks like. <laughs> it's like, you got a question, I got a wall. It's kind of weird, because then they step out into the cave, and he says something about the dogs, and she's like, how do you know so much? And he's like, I ride dog sleds. I'm a musher. It's like, wow, that wasn't care. It's like, wow, oh, oh that wasn't a wall. <laughs> it was a little surprising. Well, when the stories did start to get a little out of hand, did Kojima ever acknowledge that 
things were starting to get a little too crazy after I feel or like, did he just keep yeah, going I, I feel like yes and no because when was it that he started retconning things mike uh retconning i want to say in two i feel like that's a pretty uh, that game is we could do a whole nother podcast on that one but i don't think there's too many mm-hmm. retcons in three there may have been some kind of toe stepping onto things well actually the biggest i, I want to say well actually three i guess it would be hard to the three was the attempt to kind of like make sense of two for the normies yeah uh, but it's actually, also my favorite. There's actually a huge retcon in Metal Gear Solid 1, and that's that um, Solid Snake is Big Boss's son. Mm-hmm. That was never stated in Metal Gear 2. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he kind of like was adding flavor mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in a lot of the games. Um, and then it, things got weird around portable ops um, oh yeah because i want to say four is really when the pieces kind of i think that was the first time they jumped the shark uh i want to say the pieces kind of started to not fit so great together but i I don't it, it was less retconning and it was more like oh you wanted to know about this thing uh which nobody did so here's an answer to that question mm-hmm. and then that answer would either completely like ruin some other aspect that you liked or like even shit that made sense like why is liquid trapped in the ocelot's arm in in two and it's like and then three comes along and it's like oh ocelot is the son of this spirit medium so it makes sense that a spirit so medium yeah would... The capacity, arm. the capacity exists in him, but because he's a uh, ironically a skeptic, he doesn't he doesn't like he doesn't train it, so it basically gets used by liquid. Yeah, which kind of made sense after you played three to to know that, and then in four they're like, oh no, it's nanomachines and hypnotherapy, and it's like, wait, this other thing, why did you change that? So I, I think. F- it wasn't like they changed it it was like they never said it but it made sense and then that was one of those heartbreaking uh retcons for me because like this as far as the story went that that was kind of like peak jumper cables moment is i live in this arm yeah that's when i'm looking at the thing mouth the gate like I, i can't remember how the phrase went you had my interest, now you have my attention, or the opposite. <laughs> yeah, from Django. Yeah. But um, I think a lot of the big boss stuff is what really just kind of went over the edge. Like Peace Walker and MGS5 just really started shitting on on the canon to, to the point where it felt like he was ignoring uh, stuff that happened in Metal Gear 2 and stuff that mm-hmm. was said in the first in Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. which really pissed me off because I said it before, but you know, my 13 year old brain, when I was hearing snake talk about, you know, and sniper wolf talking about how big boss found her and, and how, and Naomi talking about how, you know, Frank Yeager found her like half starved near the mm-hmm. Zambezi river or whatever. And, and gray Fox, you know, talking about like, I was the one who killed her parents and all this shit. 
Mm-hmm. I thought I was gonna get to see this these iconic moments that were in my oh in yeah my head like in everything with, everything with Gray Fox like every God if there's one character that got ruined by continuing games it's Gray Fox yeah. see and I don't Fuck. think I don't think he did because I don't count PC or portable ops. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the other games, it's just ignoring him completely. Yeah, they pretty much just ignored him, and they kind of, they never, in MGS5, you, the, the twist kind of makes it so, it was unnecessary, and it changed the story of the first Metal Gear, and it was like, we're not going to actually show you anything that Big Boss did and especially mm-hmm. not the stuff you wanted to see that we've been talking about for 20 years mm-hmm. so i know at the, i think a lot of that was like fatigue on kojima's part especially around peace walker because i feel like at that point like peace walker and five i think he was really he just got he just didn't want to make metal gear anymore I, really at four well, yeah I, I was gonna say he, he was he started threatening to leave it after two yeah, he did, and he said it after every single game. And then around mm. 4, I still am not entirely sure that 4 isn't kind of just a big giant parody of the series and like a big fuck you to like saying, okay, you guys want more of this, I'm just going to make this crazy. Mm-hmm. And so by the time you get around to like Peace Walker and the new crazy stuff that he's doing, doing in Peace Walker and and an MGS five, it just seems like he had it seemed like he jumped back in time to tell more of Big Boss's story so he would be unburdened by the canon so he could tell mm. more of an original story. Like the whole thing Which with making completely annihilated the canon. The whole thing with making like like Miller like a key character in Outer Heaven, it doesn't real that was never really said and it kinda changes his personality in Metal Gear from what he was in Metal Gear 2. Mm-hmm. Like, it just... He just started stepping on a lot of stuff, and it, it wasn't really... To me, there's, like, parts of that story that I want to see told that I don't think will ever get told, apart from mm-hmm. maybe on film. Yeah, film's kind of the only hope, because, like, the only thing Konami's good for right now is loaning out Metal Gear to other licenses. Yeah, you've been kind of quiet, Joe. Um, I guess the other thing I always wondered about Metal Gear, at least when Kojima was making it, is does he, this is a very stupid thing to ask. Does he like video games, or does he just like movies, or like did, did he just <laughs> was he not able to get into film? So this is the only medium he. Fa- and I'm just kind of curious, like where do you think he stands? I feel like it started like the games were a surrogate for films. But then after a while, the thing that like really stands out with Kojima is like the experience he was trying to craft, like in the elements he was creating that were uniquely video game. Mm, yeah. yeah I've always wondered that. I mean, he's clearly, I mean, if you look at MGS5, like the story is fucking crazy and doesn't make any <laughs> sense yeah. and it's unfinished for lots of reasons. But if you look at the gameplay... Damn. That's just kind of stealth genre military perfection. Like, you couldn't really ask for a better stealth action game. Mm-hmm. That's good. Very, and, very good. And that doesn't really... All of his games, like, the gameplay is polished. Mm-hmm. So this is... 
someone who really understands and, and loves the experience of playing games like you can you can tell but originally i think like i said he he was interested in film and i think it was i don't know if he thought it was too hard or if it was too hard to kind of break into that but he i've heard him talk about how he saw like the first super mario brothers and he just saw that and was like this is amazing like i can tell a story with this yeah and i mean all the games we were talking about earlier i mean the gameplay is always really good mm-hmm. and the 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 actual writing and just the presentation is like that of a movie so yeah i guess he does care greatly about both sides and he just really seems to just love mixing the two different mediums together i guess huh? i don't he just yeah he, can, does. he may be one of the best at integrating them absolutely yeah, I don't know if I would say that. <laughs> uh, well, in most cases. <laughs> well, maybe maybe not by today, but like you know, there are games now that are basically just movies where yeah. you occasionally hit buttons. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did. I mean, to be fair, in 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 Ground Zeroes and in in Phantom Pain, even though the story wasn't what I wanted, like the presentation was there, like. He was clearly trying to push himself in in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. You look at the gameplay, how far he pushed that, um, and as far as presentation, like the way those cutscenes are directed, with their mostly every cutscene is all one camera shots, which is which obviously is easier to do when you have a, a a virtual camera that you can move anywhere, but you still have to kind of plan that out a lot, and it's kind mm-hmm. of challenging to to put that together. But so I think he did get like that's kind of peak presentation and gameplay, like mm-hmm. story presentation is gameplay as far as Kojima goes. I think it stuff worked pretty well there. I, I kind of I wish there was a little bit more integration of the story um, into the that game. Also, just because the after a while you've kind of done everything gameplay wise there is to do in those two stages, mm-hmm. those two open worlds. And it feels a little empty. Yeah. So it was weird. He kind of, we mentioned peaks and valleys before, but he really started like with this kind of medium with MGS1 and then kind of went up and down, but mostly up in terms of like too many cutscenes. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so where he ended up with MGS5 is kind of weird, where there's not that much story. Which is weird, but because I feel like it still turns people off who don't like that sort of thing. Because you, when you first start that game, there's a shit ton of cutscenes, and then once you get into the game, there's like almost no cutscenes. Jeremy Cables, you said you tried playing this. How far did you get? Um, well, I had an attempt prior to it where I got a little further, but I only got to like uh, the area where they had all the uh, basically the area where you can't shoot. Yeah. <laughs> and in that case i just stopped like i had like I, had, I don't know i guess i had motivation or some kind of good flow going because i just stopped there because i had to focus on school stuff hmm. but uh for some reason when i tried it again i think it was like a combination of knowing there, that you know i had to do this within a certain amount of time and the wrestling with the controls so it's just kind of like nope really i i, I 
I don't know how I managed to deal with like the aiming in this game, like in in the first game. Yeah. Because I kept I kept wanting to go into the first person aiming. Yeah, it's kind of a pain in the ass when you're trying to shoot guards that are off screen. But I guess we talked a lot about gameplay, and we haven't really talked specifically about a lot of the characters and some of the overall story. So Foxhound takes over this base, because Metal Gear's there, and there's this big mystery. Nobody knows that Metal Gear is even there, and then Snakes finds out from the DARPA chief. About black budgets and secret black projects led by a black guy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's a really big web of intrigue, and I feel like that element is not one people really bring up in regards to this game but it, it, it's a, it's a pretty heavy element like there's always like something to be revealed something being revealed and other things that you don't realize are mysteries just kind of like floating around overhead literally in the case of psychomantis yeah and that was kind of something that was interesting to me going through this again was experiencing a lot of the nuance of the story that i'd kind of forgotten so we've lost Joe, uh, but we choose to press on <laughs> because who cares what he thinks anyway? No, <laughs> it's uh, not that. I'm going to, I was going to scold him after this episode about this stuff, but I wasn't expecting it to be this bad. <laughs> so I'll have to do that next time we record. Oh dear. Um, no, don't don't dress him down on the show. Uh, well, that's why I said afterwards. But oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. As in, like next time we're recording before we start. Yes. Uh, we'll, but we'll have a we'll have a sit down. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, I guess we we want to talk a little bit about the characters and some of the story. Um. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know why I just want to talk about President Baker. He's always reminded me of uh, Ernest Borgnine. And who's the guy that played uh, Tommy Boy's... No, not Tommy Boy's dad. The guy in Life with Mikey. Um, God, it's been so long since I saw that movie. The guy that plays the boss. I only have like a vague idea of him in my head right now. It's been too long since I watched it. His name is David Huddleston, and he died in 2016. Oh, you know who he is? He's the fucking Big Lebowski. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know what? He would have been the guy to play Baker. <laughs> yeah. He had a very similar voice, but I always, I always thought he he would have been he would have been the guy. <laughs> I, did, I always associated those two. Mm -hmm. But um, his, you get to meet him very briefly. And he gives this... Him and listening to Nastasha were kind of my my primers as a teenager on, on learning about really nuclear weapons in general. Mm. The fact that like it's not just like a joke that you say on the schoolyard. Like, oh, a nuclear weapon or like... Or in a, something in a movie where it's like, oh no, the terrorists have a nuke. Where it's, or it's like, they got nuked. 
when you're just talking about something getting like blown up or messed up or whatever. Yeah, they kind of put it into perspective. Like if you talk to Nastasha a lot, she talks about Chernobyl and mm-hmm. she has like a traumatic past with that. I think she was born near there or she was born in Pripyat or something mm-hmm. um, around the time and her parents died of radiation poisoning. So stuff like that. But then there's stuff that Baker says about like, he talks about shit like muff, which is material unaccounted for, which is just nuclear material that goes missing every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which the... is uh, kind of horrifying to hear. Yeah, it was... is a thing. Yeah, Nastasha kind of hammers it over and over again that that terrorists just must be buying this shit or something. Like random people, mm-hmm. these must be being sold on the black market because where the fuck else are they going? Yeah, and again, to hear that there's a black market for this shit is also terrifying. Yeah, and I mean, the game, there's those title cards at the end that kind of talk about where we were in 1998 as far as how many missiles existed, and it's like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. And Nastasha talks about, you know, how all these different countries all over the world, like it's not just first world countries now, like, you know, a lot of different countries have nuclear programs and there's thousands of thousands of nuclear missiles just mm-hmm. kind of hanging out. Um, it's just, I don't, that was kind of my introduction into that's just the reality. Yeah. Of that whole, yeah. The idea of nuclear weapons and like, like the, the, the legit terror of these things and the importance of the philosophies associated with them. That's how I learned about the START treaties. Uh, those were real. And deterrence, which plays a big role in later games. Yeah, it's like the... Pri- I want to say it's one of the primary points of Peace Walker. Yeah, well, it's a primary yeah. reason for the existence of Metal Gear in the first place. It's the ultimate deterrent. Supposedly. Yeah. Yeah, wait, wait. So on that, it's specifically on the idea of that... It's uh, it's it's based on the idea that there, no matter what, there will always be like a retali- retaliatory action to it, or is it just the threat of it? Uh, the the first thing you said, it's mad. a guaranteed retaliatory action. It's like yeah. you can fire from anywhere; it can be anywhere. Yeah, they talk you, about you fire a nuke somewhere, yeah. you're gonna get they one. They talk back. a lot about this in Doctor Strange Love. Uh, mm-hmm. mad is the phrase mutually assured destruction so mm-hmm. the idea is if everything's going to blow up nobody's going to throw the first punch yeah yeah. so it was kind of he was kind of my introduction into that and then you have Naomi coming in and talking about gene therapy mm-hmm. and that was kind of my I'm not sure if I quite knew what genes were before this game I, I think I must had a must have had some concept of it because it it kind of made, I remember it making sense when they were talking about editing um, them that it would change traits of people. But just the idea that you could do that was interesting. I had just finished reading a book about, uh, called The Future of the Mind by Michio Kaku, and he talks a lot about sort of gene editing and and how genes work and how it's this kind of simple code that, that's really kind of the basis for putting together your whole entire body, which is crazy, but then the brain, which is 
insane. The brain is the most complicated thing <laughs> that mm-hmm. kind of exists in our like it's it's so complicated. It's you need massive amount of twenty massive amounts of twenty fourteen. I think when the book was written, like computing power to even like it doesn't exist yet like you can't simulate a brain because you'd need there's just not enough storage and and memory and and computing power in the world yeah and it's just so complicated and all this stuff is comes from sort of built out of your genes Um, i might be talking out of my ass here but (laughs) it does kind of like open the door to really uh complex issues yeah especially for people that were like our age right now where we're just starting to think about things outside of like the most like basic and straightforward stuff yeah like we're forming our own ideas and questioning the ones that have already existed or have been known to us yeah did you ever see gattaca no it's it's on that list of things it's good it's kind of the it's set in a future where sort of gene editing has kind of gone crazy and everyone's perfect and has their role in society and it kind of it also has to do with these i want to say brothers there was like one who was inferior and one was who had better genes and kind of the inferior one succeeding. So it's very kind of in the same vein came out a year before this. So I don't know how much of that was kind of borrowed because, you know, Kojima Mm -hmm. likes movies, but I mean, there's one thing I was kind of curious in regards to, uh, was it an influence? Cause one of the things I was thinking of specifically looking at liquid who I dubbed the patron saint, of inferiority complexes <laughs> uh, is if Kojima had um, Amadeus, that film about uh, not that featured Mozart, but was actually about um, I can't remember the name of the guy. I don't even know if he was a real dude, but um, Salieri. Been, yeah, Salieri. Wait, I think he may have been, but they that story is mostly fiction. He was real. Yeah, so he was real. The story wasn't. Um, Because I did look it up at some point. And just like, it's his inferiority complex and liquids is just, I won't say they're point for point, but they're they're pretty close in this way that I should be sad to say I find relatable. But um, fuck it. Yeah. (laughs) Feels bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Liquid because we haven't really talked about him that much. He's got serious Bond villain steez throughout this whole game. And he does have steez. A lot of that is owed to the fucking amazing performance by Cam Clark. It might be one of my favorite. Fucking masterful. (laughs) Yeah, it's him and David Hayter. Those are two of my favorite performances in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, of in in terms of any other game, Cam Clark is just he's just fucking eating the scenery. He's so good. He's like Raul Julia in Street Fighter. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which on this podcast is the highest praise. Well, this network, I should say. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Liquid's Liquid's fucked up, but he's so. I was kind of. I think another one of those things that kind of sparked my imagination was when they're talking about the past, it's something that was never covered in another game. And I've mentioned this before, 
uh, about Liquid's time in Iraq during the mm-hmm. Gulf War. Yeah. I guess he he infiltrated the the Gulf with I don't know if it was by himself or with a team to dis scud missile sites or something like that. But I always that always sparked my imagination. I always wanted to see that and I think a lot about that because that's a story that I would like to try and write myself or something because who the fuck else mm-hmm. is going to do it mm-hmm. um, but I kind of struggle with Liquid a little bit as a character in that regard it's because he's so much of a kind of like he is this inferiority complex and he's also trying to surpass Big Boss by doing what Big Boss did but better basically succeeding where big boss failed and he's a cocky son of a bitch and i want to say he's a little hard to relate to um again my saying i related to him it's it's specifically because i've experienced those kinds of feeling those kinds of feelings yeah but i mean they're bad and they're dark but i don't mean that specifically i just mean what i'm getting at is if you were to tell that story of him in the gulf war and sort of plant the seeds of him rising towards becoming Foxhound's leader and deciding to do this operation. I kind of, it's, it's hard for me to crack that and see where the, his turning point into doing something like this is mm-hmm. because he seems a little one note. You don't really get, he, he's a lot of anger and frustration and confidence and there's he's kind of a force of nature kind of like the joker in a way in a sense but he's also you can see the methodical element to him a bit more clearly and a lot of that is just by virtue of him by virtue of him being like military affiliated yeah he's very cunning He's extremely cunning. Like if you think about the plot of this game and the level of uh, both anticipation, anticipation and the like manipulation of other people's to that end, like it's not even like I think they established that this isn't even like something he set out to do with like having Snake unlock the Metal Gear for them is more this was something him and him and either him and Mantis or him, Mantis, and Ocelot figured out on the fly. Yeah. Um, but the whole, like, him manipulating Snake as Miller, it's just he's such a dastardly villainous motherfucker, but he mm-hmm. he has an end, and he's sort of adopted Big Boss's crazy philosophy of there needs to be a place for people like us who are only good at war which I guess is maybe where you would start in writing an origin for him. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is, you know, these, these people, the military characters devoting themselves to something and being used for it. I mean, uh, that was one of the big things with snake is, is, is this constant unease about being used. Yeah. Especially in regards to him and Campbell. So you can easily work it around something like that. Yeah, and I think that's part of the overall arch, the overarching philosophy of a lot of the characters in the series is 
is we are only good at this one thing, and traditionally we are used by governments for this, but this is a place where we can go where we won't be used by governments. We, where we can do these things. We can have value and we have by a virtue of doing these things. A choice. And there's always somewhere for us to ply our craft. Yeah. You know, it's big. It's a uh, Gray Fox's last words. We're not tools of the government or anyone else. Fighting mm-hmm. thing, fighting was the only thing I was good at. But at least I always fought for what I believed in. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an underlying philosophy of a lot of the villains. I want to say, or you know, in the Big Boss arc, a, a lot of the people who show up in Outer Heaven. Mm-hmm. So I guess a story about liquid in Afghanistan, it's weird because his whole life is fucked up and you have to wonder where a lot of things went wrong. Like he has this weird relationship with big boss that's kind of unclear and kind of gets muddier by the shit that happened in five. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess if I were to take a stab at a story of him in the desert, it would kind of have to be similar to Snake Eater in a way. Yeah, you could do something like that. I feel like Five kind of make, makes things infinitely trickier since they established that he was like megalomaniacal and had a very deep, cruel streak in him early on. Yeah. Because I feel like you're having to work around that too because I didn't see, I was expecting him to be like like show no real loyalty and be like malevolent even to his own people. And for the most part, he's just kind of like very business with them. You mean in, in, in in MGS. Like, I don't remember a whole lot of him, like, like the dastardly villain that just kind of like turns on and admonishes his underlings at the drop of a hat. Like I was expecting that and I didn't really see it. So, I don't think it would be too hard to write some interesting stuff for him if you ignore five. That's kind of what I was thinking that you would have to do because it Mm -hmm. just doesn't really make any sense anyway. Mm -hmm. It's too much because, and I just, I don't know. I just don't like the way they treated it. Like he had this, like the way he talks in one, it's like he had this relationship with big boss and, big boss was a dick to him but then, or, or snubbed him in favor of snake yeah and in five they kind of it's like he's not even in you don't even see him interact with the real big boss so it's kind mm-hmm. of like he's and venom's kind of a nice guy so it doesn't really add yeah, up. No, he's, he's clearly just baby super villain in five yeah like there's like something to be said for him being like a like like a immature. I mean, he's a kid. Like you can maybe still sort of acknowledge five if like the answer you offer for him being chiller in this game is he grew out of some shit. Yeah. But I think that's kind of the only way you want to do it. Either that, or you just be like, for some reason, he really likes this team he's on. Yeah, I think I would just kind of ignore five in terms mm-hmm. of his arc because it, I mean it really just doesn't add anything. But plus, if I in my dream world <laughs> where I am involved in in bringing this to the screen, 
it sounds silly to say, but I would rewrite a lot of shit in the Metal Gear canon. Mm. Um, I hope you wouldn't remove psychic abilities. No, of course, a lot of that stuff. I just mean like some of the stuff where Kojima was just kind of treading on what I consider the kind of crown jewel of Metal Gear history, which is like Metal Gear 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think as a film, it would be... I See, I kind of struggled to see that type of character in that kind of environment, but I recently saw Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. And he's... He's obviously not Liquid Snake, but he's... He's sort of, in that movie, he's a little wide-eyed and kind of, he has a vitality to him, mm-hmm. uh, the way Peter O'Toole played him. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a commander, but he's wildly ambitious. Ah, okay. Um, and he's very human. That's a whole nother thing. So I think I would probably try and steal a lot from there, but... Back to Liquid in this game. He's, it's kind of weird. Like I was trying to playing through it again. I was trying to divide the story into acts and trying to figure mm-hmm. out where you would place, like the end of Act One and like the beginning of Act Three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really come up with an exact thought on that, but I feel I like feel- Liquid doesn't really come into play and you don't really start to get to know him until like act three maybe a little bit in act two yeah he, he's basically he would basically be a um because i feel like a lot of metal gear works better as like a tv series than as a as films and he'd be that character that's basically a silhouette until like past the halfway point <laughs> that's kind of what he is like you see like just a I mean if you watch the briefings you get kind of background on him mm-hmm. but that's very far removed it's somebody telling you kind of hearsay about him and then he's at the dock when you first start the game and he's going up the elevator and he's kind of talking to people and yeah you hear his voice a couple yeah. of times but it but it is interesting to think about because after you beat the game it completely recontextualizes liquid as He's kind of with you throughout the entire game as Master Miller. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things where watching a playthrough fell short because how much of a betrayal that is is dependent upon how often you talk to Miller. Yeah. And when I was playing the game, I was talking, well, I was talking with everyone a lot, but for some reason I was really, I really thought Miller was cool. So I was trying to call him on everything. Yeah, he was cool. (laughs) And, uh, We've talked about how they kind of reverse engineered his voice. Yep. <laughs> with by casting someone who sounded like him to, mm-hmm. to play young Miller, who sounded like Cam Clark doing an impression of Miller. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it is interesting because they did think about that. I mean, obviously, like when you call him at certain points, he'll be. You can see him kind of slip up. There's a couple times where. He gets really excited right before you put the last key card in. He's like, Snake, what are you doing? You got to put the key card in. Come on. I can taste it. <laughs> and there's a, That's pretty a, good. 
there's another point point later where he'll he'll mention to he's talking about Raven and, and about how he's like oh Snake like you have Japanese blood and Raven is this kind of native and he's a Inuit yeah a long time ago these were cousins and related so you guys probably have a bunch of the same ancestors and then Snake just goes Master I don't remember telling you that I was part Japanese Mm-hmm. and he just kind of doesn't say anything <laughs> yeah but there's little things like that kind of hidden in the dialogue and in the performance that mm-hmm. it really makes it enjoyable to watch again although i do wish i could play this over for the first time again mm. that would be magical <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i kind of wish i could go back to that basically go back to the point the an ideal point in time for me to play it and really play through all of it um I forgot what I was going to say in regards to Liquid. Probably just having more to do with that whole supervillain steez he's got going. Um, yeah, I mentioned earlier in there that I really liked hearing all the uh, Foxhound members babble amongst one another. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't just exposition, exposition. Like, there was, like, elements of a dynamic poking through every time you had more than two of them talking to one another. Like when Raven's talking to Ocelot and Liquid after you beat him in the tank. Mm-hmm. It's nice when he calls Ocelot General Ivan. <laughs> he gets real mad. Yeah, they're kind of... It, it's kind of sounding like they're getting ready to go at each other. And he's like fucking shaming. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of testament to that is that when they were recording i want to say i might be wrong but i'm pretty sure a lot of them were in the booths together yeah i think yeah i heard that too i think but i'm pretty sure but they do play really well off of each other mm-hmm. yeah i think there was another instance where it was uh i think it was liquid i think it may have been liquid ocelot and uh sniper wolf but there seems to be some tension over who's going to kill snake yeah in the torture room Hyperwolf has a lot of opinions about the American government. <laughs> yeah, well, as is a, she's a Kurd, and um, yeah. they, they, they. I'm not an expert on this subject. All I know is that they, a lot of bad shit tends to happen to them. Yeah, Saddam Hussein. Like, even them. recently, yeah. I want to say this time it was Syria. Yeah, and it's it's just little shit like that throughout this game that. I feel like it really lost sight of that, especially around once you get to five, it's like, oh yeah, there's Russians in Afghanistan because of this, but But yeah, other than that, we've kind of got our own shit and it's insane. Yeah. But Metal Gear solid. The first one, I think more than any of the other ones, you get it a little bit with like the cold war stuff, but it really, it pulls from all these different parts of, of, the geopolitical history and infuses mm-hmm. them into all these areas, whether it's like Nastasha telling you, Oh, this, this gun, like she, she mentions when you call her with the stingers equipped, she mentions that, um, I think the Afghans shot down a lot of Russian helicopters or, or something during, I don't know, maybe it was the Gulf and, and it, cause them to change their tactics it's like why is this video game aware of all of these things like it's just mm-hmm. so well researched and like sniper wolf's occurred and and 
at one point Ocelot's talking about his background with the KGB and all the wars he's fought in and yeah like the state of Russia now versus what he wants him to be yeah it's really an astonishing amount of like when you think of every character and it wasn't like oh they're all veterans of this one war from here it's like no they all came from different places and somebody looked at history and was like okay they were alive at this point so this is what they were doing as a soldier Mm -hmm. it's crazy yeah yeah, it's yeah. I think that's that's a lot to do with why this team is the most fleshed out and realized. What was I gonna say? I guess on the subject, which one of the bosses was your favorite? Um, as a character, as a fight, both as a both as a fight, and I guess as a fight and as a character. I mean, I've always liked Snake's dynamic with Raven. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I loved it too. Um, and it does have my favorite line. Hey. <laughs> which one you were you quote a lot of their interaction yeah you must be a real threat in the muck duck eating contest that's my favorite line in probably all of metal gear okay because the other because you you would drop you pull each other's ears a lot <laughs> oh, too. Yeah. you want to pull each other's ears <laughs> that's a good one just all the different like interactions where it's like Oh, we have something in common. We both, I lived in Alaska and you're from Alaska. It's like, oh, you know about these Olympics? (laughs) But all the stuff he kind of talks about, he's just so giant and shaman. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I think there's some element of that I like. And also it kind of like brings to question, why is it that when, when, uh, when Japan thinks of natives, Specifically, natives that aren't I knew, <laughs> they think of like giant muscle men <laughs> <laughs> with mystic powers. Yeah, um, but yeah, their their conversation just kind of on the nature of nature of war and fighting mm-hmm. and violence. Raven kind of just has Snake's number and understands him a little bit more than I think he does. And Liquid makes the same points too. He's kind of tell, trying to tell him that he likes all the killing. Whereas I think Raven is just like, I can smell the blood that you've had on you for your entire life. And it's been following you forever. And it's going to just keep following you until you, basically that's what he's saying to him. Yeah. And it's, like you're not, you're not going to like shake this off or, you know, it's not going to go away with time. Yeah, it is. He also acknowledges that his existence is unique. Yeah, when he's like telling him, you know, your your snake's not made from nature. Yeah. you're going down a path I don't ever want to see. Yeah, and he compares him. A few of the bosses compare him to to Liquid a lot. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, you're just like him. Like this is what you live for, and that's. I think that's part of Snake's big struggle in this is separating himself from liquid and maybe there's he i think in this game he really realizes like what he could have become in liquid Mm -hmm. especially them being twins and identical on the genetic level supposedly and seeing all the chaos that he caused and then kind of realizing all the chaos that he is a part of but there's there's just something very somber and i think that's it's funny that the guy jordan Philip Roberts, who's wants to direct the Metal Gear movie, talks a lot about 
Sniper Wolf's death scene and how that's really iconic to him. And that is a really great moment for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's always stuck in my head that when Snake is walking away from Raven as he's being eaten by ravens and he's telling him, this is never going to end for you. But yeah, those, guess those ghosts will haunt you forever. You know, as he's Snake has killed him and he's dying and he's telling him, I'm going to be watching you, Snake. Mm-hmm. It was just really, I don't think I had seen anything like that ever. I can't think of anything either. Like anything that like really heavy. Like um, it did stand out to me how emotional all these characters got with one another once they were done trying to kill each other. But they were all the always these kind of deep moving and like revealing moments. Yeah. I guess the uh, only exception being liquid. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. I guess he may have been the only like true monster among them. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking while I was watching it. Not like a monster, like, oh, you're a monster, but like, he's just a monster. He just does not stop. He keeps going. Mm-hmm. You almost kill him like three times. Yeah. And just his plan and the manipulation and just everything he does is he's just. It's just like single minded entity on a machine or something. It's, it's, because I remember like looking at the bit where, uh, they're yelling at each other over the over DARPA chief getting killed during the interrogation and realizing the the degree of plan that's about to get set into motion and thinking at least one of the motherfuckers in that room is a mad goddamn genius and by the end of it I realized no that was liquid. Yeah. That guy is that whole thing about there being a line between genius and insanity, that that line doesn't exist for liquid. They're one and the same. Yeah. He's also a huge diva. Oh yeah. Just the way he moves too is Well, I mean, he, he doesn't he doesn't like rest or stand. He poses. Yeah. He only exists in poses. I mean that's what he does with like whereas like a normal person would just kinda of sit there with their arms down or even with their arms crossed in this way that it's like, okay, this is taking tension off of these muscles. <laughs> Liquid's like, this is how I will look cool and draw everyone's focus. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Mantis's scene is too... Actually, it's kind of an anomaly in terms of theme about what mm-hmm. he talks about when he dies, but it's like really true. And I think it stuck with me a lot is when he's talking about... He's talking about how disgusted he became with humanity because when he dove into every, every single person's mind he dove into, basically they were all thinking about fucking. And that was I was going to ask you what your interpretation of that was. Because initially that was what I was thinking too. And then I started to wonder if by that he just meant like the same sort of like make kids and expire, make kids and expire. And you're not really thinking you're just kind of doing this thing on like basic ass animal instinct. If it was just, if it was just sex, in which case why like, is, does he have some sort of hang up about it? I think um, it's both. I, I think really it's both because those two things are very related. It's like when mm-hmm. you dive into somebody's mind, it's either... Uh, if you imagine diving into the mind of somebody walking on the street. Yeah. Or at least what I think about when I'm on the street is like... Well, damn. it's going to be like... <laughs> it's going to be the most easy to see. Yeah. I mean, it's like, damn, fucking... 
titties. Damn, ass. Damn, she mm-hmm. fine. Like, damn, this is crazy. I'm losing my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like not even that, but it's also like the other side of that is like, oh, I want a family or I want a mate. Like, it's kind of the same thing, but when you think of the two kind of sides of the coin that we consider as a society where people are like, oh, they're a player, they're just trying to fuck, or like, Mm-mm. oh, no, that person is trying to settle down. Like, it's, it's either, like that's a family man, that's a, that's a, that's a future mom yeah, or whatever. But it's it's really like the same thing. Like, it's a mm-hmm. desire to mate and pass your seed along. Yeah, they're ultimately two parts of that, like, base animal whole. Yeah, and it's, and really you can think about anything as, it's like, that is what we drive towards. I want a job so I can, if you think about anything that you do, you can kind of follow that logic at some point towards to attracting like a, basic- a mate. Yeah, like the, some basic animal imperative. Because if it's not attracting a mate, then it's I gotta eat. Yeah, pretty much. It's like I, I want this shirt because it has this thing that I like on it. Seems like innocent enough, but it's really like I want this shirt because it has this thing that I like on it that maybe an attractive person will see and say, yeah. I like that thing too. And then we'll talk and then we'll mate. Mm hmm. Yeah, I want to like if if liquid is the patron saint saint of inferiority complexes, then <laughs> psychomantis is the patron saint of mis- misanthropy <laughs> in this because fuck. But and and at the same time, it makes sense. It ties to something that one of the things I find interesting about Metal Gear in general, especially here, is kind of allowing having these elements but then building them in this way that makes the world feel more dimensioned and nuanced and all that specifically the first time it hit is when psychomantis is trying to read darba chief's mind and he's like he has psychic insulation i can't get in there and then they go on to say yeah it's literally a physical implant we put into any number of people because psychics are a thing in this world yeah now they're apparently they they seem to be a military guarded secret. We don't really hear a lot about what goes on in the day to day in this version of the world, but it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem it seems to be a known quantity in this world of military shit. But uh, I people are still even people in the military are shocked when they encounter a psychic. So it doesn't seem to be commonplace. Yeah. Also, to that end, it makes sense that Psychomantis would be as misanthropic as it is, considering he's seeing or pick, you know, experiencing things you're not meant to pick up on. Like, how dark is it to find out your father wants to kill you by virtue of being born? Yeah, that's really it's just amazing writing. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. it's genius in in the. And the fact that it's like you, you're finding out things about people who are closest to you that they would never, that you think you're close to, that they would never say to you. Mm-hmm. There's that aspect. And then it's just like, well, what would a real life psychic who couldn't keep every single person around them's voices out of their heads, what would happen to them? They just, mm-hmm. they'd start to hate humanity because they'd. Because just... they'd hear, just, they'd, they'd see and hear just like all the darkest shit. And they just realize that everybody's driven like his specific philosophy is he's realized that everyone is driven by the same base instinct 
Mm-hmm. And he, he's bombarded by that. By that. Like, and he's bombarded by that as, like, during that period where you really need that wide-eyed idealism. Yeah. I mean, could, kids you, are could you imagine if your entire life there was just a little frame in the corner of, that was just showing, like, a fucking giant orgy? Like, it'd be cool sometimes, but most of the time, you'd just go crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then every once in a while, you you're you're in it, and well, you know, not not because you want to be, but because someone's thinking about you like that. And then, like, imagine then, like if it's like depraved shit. Yeah, or somebody killing you. Or yeah, somebody wanting thinking about killing you. Man, this this game is it's just, and the more we break it down, the more I realize it's just the tightest written. Like, oh yeah throughout from from every single point like i was kind of noticing a lot of stuff like i call another conversation i found is when you call campbell during rex is you've already heard the secretary of defense be like we're sending an air raid over there but... god that guy was skeezy <laughs> fuck that guy <laughs> i think that comes afterwards because i was talking to campbell but campbell oh, okay. is like he's like this is uh actually not our last option you have to defeat metal gear and snake's like wait what do you mean and he's he just goes we're in a nuclear class submarine like we're gonna nuke that base if this doesn't work out (laughs) (laughs) but 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 stuff like that and kind of stuff Mm. with liquid's plan i was kind of realizing how kind of airtight because liquid is you know he's at the end he goes Oh, you didn't think you made it this far by yourself, which is kind of a cliche thing to say. But when you think about it, he's been guiding you. He's been guiding you and things have been kind of laid out for you and people have been helping you. So, I mean, a one man solo infiltration like that's crazy. That was the one thing I was going to ask you about this is like, I mean, it's established that Snake basically specializes in this and. He's trained by both trained in both the unit and by the people that kind of like perfected this sort of operation. So there's something there, but I guess the question I want to ask you is is Shadow Moses the like greatest of like all of uh, spanning the whole series? Is this like the biggest undertaking or like the most challenging undertaking? Because I kind of think it is by a single man. I mean, of all the, like, missions in Metal Gear, specifically these one-man operations. Um, yes, which is the biggest, which was the biggest feat of all the games? The biggest feat? That's a good question. I want to say... Because my, I've, I guess my arguing point is it's this one. I don't know if it's this one just because he was being guided so much and he had, like... You have the radar, and you have liquid kind of manipulating things, so you do succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were kind of he was kind of really led in through a lot of stuff, and he did have help from Meryl and the ninja. I mean, even stuff like if you even though he had to fight the ninjas, <laughs> yeah, but like if you don't escape from the torture chamber with the ketchup or hide under the bed, then the ninja will just break you out. So he was kind of being pushed through a little bit mm-hmm. as much as it's not really developed. I think metal gear, the first game is kind of because a, he's a rookie and B, yeah, he, that's he, true. he was sent there to fail. 
mm-hmm. and his commanding officer was working against him the entire time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes a bit more sense of those, oh, I forgot to mention, as it's happening. <laughs> yeah, so I want to say Outer Heaven might have been the biggest undertaking. Um, I feel like Metal Gear 2 was kind of an undertaking as well. Oh, yeah, no, they. I want to say most of them were, like, for sure. Like, yeah, none of these things are... Because, I mean, yeah, there is an arguing point for how much he's being guided here. I think relative to the story, the first game is probably the biggest one. Yeah. Just I by think, virtue of his lack of experience. I think maybe Snake Eater. That's a tough one. Because it's not just, like, a hard mission. It's You also have to question how much he's being guided by Ocelot in there, though. Yeah. There's that. It's more like he's being, but Ocelot is basically on his side, kind of. It's almost like having an ally there. There were things standing in Ocelot's way. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like he he wasn't being pushed through like in Shadow Moses. It was more like he had some help. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Shadow Moses, it was there were literally people counting on him succeeding to a point. Yeah, um, but in Snake Eater. It depends if we're talking about how far the odds are stacked against someone versus like what actually happened. I think Mm -hmm. what actually happened in Snake Eater was probably the roughest that anybody ever had to go through. Yeah. Um, Emotionally and physically. Yeah, there there is that. There's the the emotional turmoil there is high. (laughs) So we haven't really talked about Meryl much. Uh, What do you think of her? Um, I guess like character wise, I didn't really have especially strong opinions about her due to my like strangely limited experience with the first game. Like I missed a lot of her interactions with Snake. Uh, she's really interesting. It's almost like I think we talked about this on the Goldeneye episode. How you can kind of watch Goldeneye and Skyfall as kind of bookends to. M's storyline like mm-hmm. Bond meets her and then she dies in his arms in Skyfall mm-hmm. um, so Meryl is her whole arc is super interesting to me I think she has the most interesting character development in 4 um, mm-hmm. out of all the characters Like it was really cool seeing her come back and be this total badass yeah and her relationship with Campbell is wrapped up really well I thought um, mm-hmm Obviously, I I really hate that scene with her and Johnny where they're like proposing to each other, and it's just like the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> it was it was a bit I I couldn't tell you how I how I would have written that, but it was even for me it was a bit much. Here's how I would have I wouldn't have I would not have had that happen in that scene. Uh, okay, <laughs> would you have had it happen at all? Oh, I would have had them, like, married at the end. Sure, why not? Uh, but, like, it it was just so corny. And I, that still bothers me to this day. I was thinking about it the other day when uh, Roger Ebert was getting into a big art video games art debate. On yeah, I remember his, that. His blog post. And some dumbass in the comments was like, 
video games are art. Look at this video game. And they posted that scene from Oh, before. no. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you do this? You are defeating your point. We oh. had, like, one shot. There's so many amazing scenes from, from throughout the series that you could have showed the greatest film critic of all time. <laughs> you chose that one. You ruined it. You ruined it for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I forget what his response was. He was basically just like, this is... That's dumb. This is ridiculous. And it's... He kind of... His point kind of... He probably would have said the same thing to any other scene, though, which was like, this is kind of not its own thing. This is just me making a movie. Mm. But, um... But her her kind of character arc in MGS1 is it's interesting because I think she's her relationship with Snake is almost like the one that the same one that Raiden has with Snake in MGS2 and it's funny because well Raiden comes back in 4 and he's different he also gets to come back as a badass yeah but he's which is pretty cool he's a little more traumatized but well rightfully so yeah what is interesting to see those two characters kind of they're kind of you get to see them at the beginning of their career and then by the end they're jaded and they've been kind of ruined the same way Mm -hmm. their heroes were ruined but uh, marilyn this is She's interesting. She's very spunky and she goes through a lot of changes. She kind of disappears for a while when she gets shot by Sniper Wolf. Doesn't really come back to the end, but her performance is really great. And as a vehicle for what Kojima's trying to say about war, um, she's really interesting. She almost represents kind of the player the same way Raiden did as like although Raiden was more neurotic and mm-hmm. kind of not really into what was happening <laughs> <laughs> like really not having it <laughs> uh, Meryl is very much like a video game player she's just mm-hmm. like you guys were heroes and I look up to you and I respect you and I want to yeah. be like that. And I'm she's back- enthusiastic and ready to go. And I got to prove myself because my dead father and blah, blah, blah. And, and snake's just like, look kid, you don't want any part of this world. All the heroes I know are either dead or in jail. I killed some of them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I like, I like her in this game. Um, I definitely appreciated her as a uh, foil to like Snake at peak uh, cynical. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's funny that I always assumed that they got together at the end of this game, but they never kiss or really. He flirts with her a little bit. He's like, "You got a great butt," and he's like, "Oh, you got pretty eyes and shit." And then you kind of assume that, but I kind of wonder if anything did happen because it's... i'm pretty sure they got together and just broke up well yeah that's what i always thought but I mean... they're, they're definitely talking about being together by the end of the game i'm just wondering how much because i always assumed that it was there's no indication of thing. like how much time they were together yeah. like how long they were together though yeah but i, I think it's a little open-ended 
Mm-hmm. Because they're not really like bitter towards each other when they meet in four. No. I mean, kind of. She's the Meryl is really. She's an interesting character because she never really loses her hard headedness. Mm-hmm. Like she's hard headed and naive in one, but in four she's hard headed and not really naive, but more stubborn in her own ways. And like this is the way shit works now mm-hmm. old man so step aside and let us take care of it and snake's just kind of like all right <laughs> the more things change <laughs> yeah no, i i really like i've always really liked meryl as a character i mm-hmm. wish we got a little bit more but i think what we got was good uh you think she's spinoff worthy yeah i could see that uh how in like what way would you like to see it like i think an easy one would be i mean i'm actually surprised they didn't come up with some kind of like team dlc thing with uh her and rat patrol or whatever it is they were called yeah i mean if only like that dlc could have also just like introduced everyone to the mechanics of the online game but would have also just been interesting to have like a story centered around her it could be interesting to see something after MGS4 or set before MGS4. Yeah, I was thinking, like, if they did it that way, it would either be set before or during. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and there's Otacon. He pees his pants. And the cold, <laughs> the cold allows us to, like, something about the steam rising up from his pants. <laughs> it's just like one of my Japanese animes. Yeah. Ooh, are you an otaku too? <laughs> I enjoyed that. I can't lie. Him, I, I've got a, I don't know if it's a surprising amount of sympathy, but like, I always find myself feeling for him a lot in every game he's in. Yeah, he kind of gets the shit into the stick in terms of people he loves dying yeah he says something that's like in this game by the end of it that's just like completely tragic uh considering what happens as the games go on he says like something like life isn't about other people dying or some shit (laughs) you know i forgot to watch his ending i think he says it he says something like that to snake right before he goes to try and secure snake and meryl's exit he's had it rough Mm -hmm. his dad was an asshole yeah god that's like it really like seeing him and his dad in five really makes me wonder about like the thing i kind of wonder about people off and on is just like do things make you bad or do things just like draw out the bad in you and i think in the case of his dad it was like one of the few instances where i thought does it matter because <laughs> <laughs> This shit wouldn't be any less fucked up regardless. I was never a big fan of, like, Huey and Peace Walker was cool. Mm-hmm. I was never really a big fan of the, hey, let's bring back a character, but call him something else and have him be the exact same dude. Yeah. Even though they did a pretty good job of not making him the exact same dude in the Oh no. <laughs> God no. But in Peace Walker he's basically the same guy. Yeah, it really does make me wonder what happened between the two games because 
walk. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Big Boss was crazy. Mm-hmm. He was hiding nuclear weapons from inspectors that were from the UN. Yeah, yeah, they were all kind of in the dirt. I guess, I guess, part of it is, and I've, I've gone off ad nauseum about this. Is kind of like Peace Walker and Five as like a single piece or like two sides of the whole. Yeah. Because Peace Walker is like colored by all of this wide-eyed idealism, yeah, and and five is all about dirty ass reality. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of about the dream coming crashing down. Yeah, but it, it's also, I like I like I like to think of like the way the characters are in five is basically how they see themselves or what they're trying to do. No, sorry. How they see themselves. Peace Walker is how they see themselves in yeah. five. It's the ugly reality of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a really good point. It is because that the game is just so hopeful and optimistic, and we're not going to live by society's rules, and we're all going to be a family together on this base. And then five, it's just like you guys are hiding nuclear weapons from the rest of the world. And you're a bunch of mercenaries. You kill people for a living. People are going to try and kill you for the things that you do to them. And then we're going to like, but then we're going to like destroy like everything. Like, I still can't help but feel kind of bad for them considering how much they lose at the beginning of that game. Because hmm. I've still, I guess because at the beginning of the game, if you played Peace Walker, you still have like, the idea of them is this strange makeshift family. Yeah. And then everything gets set on fire and sent to hell. So I guess the two as a whole, it, it, it really does help to play Peace Walker beforehand since it can kind of, it can do a lot to put you in that state of rage that the characters are supposed to be in. But uh, anyway, we've covered quite Tangent. a lot. We didn't really talk about decoy octopus, but there's not much to say. <laughs> I, I, I wish that guy got more play. Like I can't remember who I was talking to, but I kind of, or maybe I was talking to myself because I do that now. Um, the idea of decoy octopus not actually dying in that moment, and maybe like playing the role of second to liquid, or maybe him, maybe him doing the uh the uh miller thing rather than liquid and kind of like being liquid's right hand to that end yeah it could have been interesting but him as liquid just gives me phantom pains about the phantom pain (laughs) not him as liquid um both like him playing playing a role kind of like kind of like the way ocelot is like liquid second like uh, decoy octopus filling some of that space and being a more unified version of the things pushing snake towards that unlock metal gear for us. It would make sense considering his skill set and his role. I feel like he he's, he's got a lot of potential that could have been used maybe, maybe more so in another game or in like a, a side story type thing. Yeah, going through it, I was kind of, I was really thinking about 
like, okay, well, Liquid is, you don't really get to know him that much, but he has all this other stuff to say about the plot and his motivations, and he's really interesting, even though he's kind of one-dimensional. But then with Raven, and you, you get these great moments with Raven, Mantis, and and Wolf. <clears throat> um, and Ocelot is a little... Not, he's kind of one note, but he's an interesting but he comes character. Back. But I, I kind of, he's, he's compelling enough. But mm-hmm. um, so him and, and Liquid are a little, like there's, there's more put into fewer characters rather mm-hmm. than, and, and Decoy Octopus is kind of, kind of, he kind of got the ass end of like, okay, we can't really dive into all of these characters, which, yeah, which is weird because I'm thinking of it like, oh, it's a two and a half hour movie and we only have so much time, but you don't really have that problem in a game. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the story is paced very well and moves pretty briskly. Yeah, no, it's already tight as is to do more with him would, I guess, would, would just kind of put that at risk. Um, yeah. He, I just can't get away from the thought that, like, as, like, the main character, he would make for, like, a really bomb-ass Telltale game. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you want something that doesn't need to be a Metal Gear game. Well, I mean, just, just considering, imagine a game centered around his skill set which is basically just becoming some other person like how would you integrate that in the gameplay and i think that kind of game would be it yeah Mm. um i guess before you pass out i did want to touch on the whole gene thing yeah um specifically i like this idea as a the idea, like the way they use genes, I know a lot of the scientifically minded will like stop and start screaming at the game, talking about that's not how genes work. And I'm not here to argue on that end, but I like the use of it as a tangible, like 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 a like a tangible and solid means of literally having these characters approach the idea of fate, like the idea of like certain things, uh, certain futures, certain events actions the question of your actions being kind of hard-coded into you yeah that's funny because i feel like i've been i don't know if it's really a hot issue these days but i've kind of read a little bit about it because it's kind of came up recently on a podcast with sam harris where he was talking to somebody about they were talking about like race and iq and basically their discussion kind of completely did it fall into um, eugenics at some point? No, but people blew it up as though it did, as though they were saying a lot of things that they weren't saying. I mean, it was just two scientists talking about things and kind of speculating about things, but people were like, you can't talk about this. Like, you can't say these things because it's it's not true and blah, 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 and you can't even think about things like this. But it's not... I think the... I think the real fear with that isn't even so much that they're talking about it as you put this information out there and guarantee someone's going to find some way to use it for evil. Yeah. Well, it's people were missing because you know how it is. People write articles about it and then people don't listen to the thing and then they read the article. They read, they read the headline. and Yeah. Yeah. But so it was interesting to go back and hear them talking about, genes determining determining like iq and 
battlefield prowess and physical ability and intelligence mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, cause I just it, remember it didn't feel controversial at the time I was listening, played it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd be hard pressed to try and uh, do this now. Um, they create some interesting character stuff with it. I think one of the most interesting being, uh, Naomi literally, I think I, I, I write self-discovery in my notes a couple of times here. There's a lot of that going on, but especially with her literally trying to figure herself out. Yeah. There's another uh, another little note to that that I really love that they did is the fact that they had been testing them during the Gulf War, and this was the Metal Gear world's explanation for Gulf War syndrome and Gulf War mm-hmm. babies. Mm-hmm. Another bit of like uh, historical fiction that Kojima seems to be fond of, which I, I really yeah. enjoy. Mm-hmm. Me too. It factors into a lot of the, um, I guess, the character motivations. You have uh, uh, Gray Fox having been basically a testing dummy for all the horror that included. Um, obviously, the thing with Naomi, you have uh, it being at the heart of Liquid's... Um, inferiority complex as well as maybe like the one um noble or philanthropic element to this terrorist action is trying to fix the genome soldiers now i don't know if there was anything philanthropic about it but i think that's an element that could make liquid more compelling yeah he cares about his like he he takes care of his own like these are my people yeah he refers to them as his brothers and sisters, the mm-hmm. babies. Yeah, I do kind of just, I guess the, the connection, basically creating a tangible means of uh, having the characters address the concept of fate without it having to, without it requiring any sort of like highly philosophical or spiritual element. You know, now everyone's got to talk about it to some degree. You've got the element of Snake kind of like wondering if he can do, like really all these characters wondering if they can do anything else. And a lot of them tragically meeting this end because they can't. And Snake wondering if, you know, he can, if like this, this thing has just been hard coded into him so he can't do anything else. Yeah. Turns out he can't. (laughs) (laughs) He tried. He finally finds it probably like a year before he dies. <laughs> mm-hmm. He tries, I guess, is maybe the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> Poor bastard. And he really does go to some... Uh... I really enjoy him in Metal Gear Solid 2. He's really... Mm-hmm. It's kind of... His life kind of took a shit dive in 4. But it seemed like Metal Gear Solid 2 Snake was the most kind of at peace with himself and his mm-hmm. existence and his philosophy about life that he ever was. And he found a purpose and he's one of the few characters to actually kind of fight for his own ideals rather than, you know, big boss's ideals who in even big boss himself was thought he was fighting for the boss's ideals. Mm-hmm. And, who and in turn was fighting against someone who also thought they were fighting for the boss's ideals. Yeah. And, you know, and all these other characters who were just kind of caught, swept up in, in warfare. 
mm-hmm. just you know as cogs in a machine or you know or who tried to leave and then ended up just being in a version of outer heaven and snake is snake and otacon forming philanthropy and trying to change the world for the good without you know trying to create this world for soldiers they're they're kind of idealistic societies probably a world where soldiers aren't needed kind of the opposite of liquid's philosophy but i think that really you really see that come to fruition in two and i'm always kind of i like it for how much i love david Hayter's performance in one and i think it's perfect he changed his his voice has changed quite a bit in two like it, mm-hmm. it's not it's not as hard nosed and gravelly but mm-hmm. part of me feels like that is okay because it feels like snake his voice in that game is it can it reflects like a change in personality yeah maybe. it feels like a giant weight is lifted off of its shoulders mm-hmm. like it's just more relaxed the the change is organic like it's versus just, he's fucking yeah. chilled the fuck out like yeah well yeah he doesn't have the like the weight of the basically the sorrow that came from the events of two yeah he's kind of he kind of got to like make some sort of peace with frank yeager one and two yeah. it was able to like kind of an overcoming liquid which sort of like represented like everything bad about him as a yeah. literal person he was he was just kind of able to make peace with a lot of shit yeah and one of the things that i really think about in four is as much as i don't like the fact that big boss comes back at the end i do enjoy some of that scene where they're talking to each other because you have to really think about it as like we've seen big boss's whole journey or at that point we had seen snake eater and portable ops so we kind of know what his deal was, but Snake, I don't, it's hard to know how much Snake knew about any of that stuff. And when Big Boss is kind of talking about like the boss and all this other shit, like mm-hmm. maybe Snake had read some of that stuff, but he's kind of quiet and just listening to him the whole time. And it's yeah, sort of interesting. It is a nice moment that I do like, even though I think just the way he came back was didn't make any sense it was silly but it well like i said for for all the sense it made you might as well have had them have a fight before that conversation yeah i don't know i'm still trying to make my peace with four somehow Mm-mm. last time i played it i was like okay maybe i missed something maybe it's like metal gear solid 2 where i need to come back to it with yeah. fresh eyes and it was ahead of its time and it's like I could kind of see where it was going. I like what Kojima was trying to say. It's like a commentary on certain things, and maybe he was fed up with a lot of things. And it was, if that's really what he was trying to do, it's like meta on top of meta, and it's really muddied and mm-hmm. just jumbled up. And but maybe that's the point. And I don't know, but. MGS1, forever in my top five. Might be number one, but I don't know. Uh, anything else you want to say? Um, one minor thing, just like the horror of 
snake is this like human biohazard plot <laughs> in four in one and oh, yeah, yeah eventually that's four right. Or... that's right it's some pretty dastardly shit <laughs> it is but that was another thing where i was when i was talking about how campbell has the backup plan and how liquid was like it, it makes sense because like if you were to think about this realistically why would you just send one guy it's like obviously you'd want to have a nuclear strike as a backup but obviously if the real plan is just have that guy deliver a virus that will kill everyone on the base so you can go and take the thing that you want that kind of makes sense it's kind of smart it is it's nefarious as all hell but yeah no it makes sense especially since it's like a selective virus yeah it's weird because we don't find out till four. There's this big mystery of did Naomi code Fox die to target Snake or not, and they don't really answer it in one, which is weird. But they do answer it in four. I think she said that she programmed like a random variable so that maybe it would kill him at some point or not, which I think was the reason why it started to get out of control. Like why it mutated. Yeah, why it mutated and was going to start killing people. But Mm -hmm. I still think he should have shot himself at the end. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm torn on that. I just... Nobody talks about that ending anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And people would still be talking about it if he had. True. I don't know if I needed that, that, that much of a depressing punctuation, but you do have a point on that end. Than the more interesting ending. Um, Dank lore question, I guess, before we go. Um, The beginning of Metal Gear 2, they mentioned that um, nukes are more or less gone, and then there's like this energy crisis, and they have this like fictional, like oil surrogate. Yeah. Does that get mentioned at all in MGS? Or did they just kind of forget about that? That's another thing that kind of got forgotten about, I think. Um, I don't believe they mention it ever again in the series. Mm-hmm. To the point where I think there's like slip-ups later, maybe in 4, where they talk mm-hmm. about oil. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they're in the Middle East, you kind of have to talk about oil if you're war games yeah. in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I think that, and you know, a lot of those characters aren't, especially in Metal Gear One. There's a guy that shows up, the first ninja, Kyle Schneider, I believe it was. Oh, the, black color. Yeah, black color. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's supposed to be black collar. I'm down with either. I like black color. That's <laughs> that's how I first played it. Yeah, it it doesn't really show up again. But that's one of the things I wish would be. I don't know. I just wish things were more consistent across the universe because especially interesting little touches like that. I mean, I I guess with the mechanical focus, having that synthetic oils kind of uh, kind of helps to explain away a lot of stuff. But uh, I kind of wish it would have persisted, if only because it seemed like an interesting element. Oh, you know what? I remember now. I don't know if it really affects it or not, but MGS2 begins with a giant oil spill in the ocean (laughs) (laughs) that whole factory is there to clean up oil that was spilled yeah the the fact that it's like a water-based like 
tanker. It's it's weird the way like these games kind of like compound on each other the more they go on. Because and I don't know if this was intended or not, but the fact that it's like this this water based platform in the solid snake experiment kind of like okay, is this so, like like was was this supposed to invoke outer heaven in their plan or am I just I mean I'm clearly reading into it since like outer like since the whole like water platform thing didn't exist till like so many games later but like could that work could that factor into the story I guess could you wedge that in there can you make that leap what do you or am mean? I just being a big nerd oh you mean that the platform in two is like the platforms in Peace Walker yes uh, and and the whole thing is an attempt to turn Raiden into Big Boss or Big Boss Two Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, well, that's Kojima just building off of his own bullshit mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> For better and worse, I think he does it well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's another thing. Is the platform thing? It's like we had already done that in Peace Walker in five like it was cool but i wanted to i was hoping it would be like a solid base somewhere in africa yeah me too i thought it was gonna the the promise of five was that i was gonna be big boss i was gonna be an asshole i was gonna build a big base and then at the end i was gonna play a solid snake and i was gonna infiltrate that base (laughs) i'm i'm with that with the one amendment of big boss is an asshole but is really sad and angry about it I guess. Well, I, I need I need that like emotional anchor. Otherwise, I'm just not interested. I don't want to play as a bully. Well, yeah, he's not a bully. At least he doesn't think he is. Liquid was a bully. Yeah, no, he <laughs> was for sure. I know. I don't want to play as Liquid neither. I do. <laughs> In the Middle East. Well, well, well. Again. There is the question of maybe there's a there's like a element of decency in him somewhere. We'll be here all night if we keep going on at that. Yeah. All right. Where can we find your show? Uh, right now you can't because I've I've been a. I I could say I've been a lazy fuck. Really, I just I still haven't adjusted to the monthly schedule. I'm uh, gonna make a more concerted effort. So hopefully. Not by the time this out, but sometime after this comes out, you'll get uh, an episode of um, I don't even remember what 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 did we talk about before? Megalobox. That's it. You should be getting that Megalobox episode. I promised months back, <laughs> and then some other stuff down the line basically i'm gonna start like finishing off things we started and never came back to what's it called what your oh, show my show it's called the old taku connection and it's the anime show on this network and what should you do before you listen to it <laughs> before before they listen to it yeah oh yeah you should probably watch <laughs> in full whatever we're talking about or at least if there's an episode a number of episodes watch those this is not a spoiler free podcast uh-huh. in any way shape or form and where are you at on twitter at old taku connect 
And uh, uh, sometimes I'll talk to you. Sometimes I'm, I'm trying to be better about being on, like you know, contributing regularly. Uh, where are we at on Facebook? Um. Oh, oh, the whole thing. Okay. Uh, Facebook.com/slash Taylison Radio, Android, iTunes, and Google Play, as well as SoundCloud. We're on a lot of things. SoundCloud.com slash A Listen Radio. And those like weird podcasting, whatchamacalls, it like picks up our episodes too. Huh. Stitcher? Yeah, stuff like that. Um, crazy how that works. We really mm-hmm. just upload it one place and it goes everywhere. Yep, works for us. We could have a huge following on Stitcher and we would never know. Yep. <laughs> Hi, Stitcher. Uh, yeah, all of you, part of that weird following that we might not know, um, let us know. I don't even know what Stitcher is. But Me either. Anyway, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Um, I'm on Twitter at Hyper90s. Um, I basically just retweet articles that you probably won't agree with <laughs> uh, at this point. We're on uh, Instagram at Hey Listen Radio. Give us a follow. Smash that like button, boy. And Joe, I don't know if his show's ever coming back. Um, um, it's definitely irregular. Yeah, I'm not sure I want Unlike it. my bowels. Not that I don't want it to come back, but he... Um, he has a bad habit of working himself to death. The boy's just busy. Has, he's, he's not... Well, he's busy, but he also thinks that he has more time than he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, anyway, we got plenty of old episodes. If you want to hear some old video game news, uh, go listen to NAGP Returns on Twitter. Mm-hmm. NAGP Resurrection. I'm starting to think maybe we should have gone with something that has the word gaming in the title. <laughs> well, technically... It's in the title. It's part of the, uh, uh, what's the term? Where you like reduce a sentence down to letters or numbers or whatever the fuck. An acronym. Acronym. It's <laughs> part of the, yeah, gaming is in the acronym. Um, yeah. If we're renaming shows, I could rename mine. Bottom line is we're not renaming anything because then I'd have to make new logos. And I don't want to do that. Damn it. <laughs> Besides, the old Taku Connection's a great name. Um, it's okay. Well, anyway, uh, pull out your balls and, and wave them by to the audience. I will not do that. Um, damn it, I should, there should be, my brain's just not working right now. There should be a quote from Metal Gear, anything, that will be like the perfect go-home cue or whatever <clears throat> the fuck. Kept you waiting, huh? See, you, that should have been the intro. <laughs> Through the magic of editing, I could make it the intro. Well, there you go. Until next week, true believers. Does Mid-month. a mall babe eat chili fries? Yeah, that was long. I don't like the long shows. Yeah, but my head hurts. <laughs> The only thing I don't like about the long shows is that you all, you one of you always gets tired. 
Yeah. Or has to leave because the janitorial team has arrived. <laughs> yeah. Technical difficulties. Oh, you made it all the way to the end and even past the ending music. If anybody knows the guy that did that music, I tried to reach out to him. Uh, I have no idea where he is. Uh, his name is escaping me right now. But the song is called Fart Fetish Suffocation. You can find it on Newgrounds. Um, I think his name's like he is something I can't pronounce. But uh, I think he's a genius. <laughs> uh, if you find him, you should give him money. Um, anyway, just wanted to drop a quick note. Uh, since I don't know when I'm going to get to say any of this on when we're doing our next episode, whatever, but uh, uh, I did, ended with a little Stanley impression kind of halfway at the end of that episode, and we recorded this like a few months before Stan passed on to the other side. Uh, my year's been crazy. But anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, as far as like influences go, I got a... You know, a list, everyone has their list of people that have influenced them, you know. From childhood, my list is Mark Gonzalez, Hideo Kojima, Stan Lee, Beat Takeshi. But Stan was like the first. Into the Spider-Verse came out, and spoilers for that, there's a Stan Lee cameo. And that really caught me off guard, because this is the first cameo I'd seen since he died. And just seeing him speak... And the way they, you know, the whole movie is beautiful, but seeing him in there, I just, it caught me so off guard, and I teared up a little bit, just because that dude meant a lot to me and to everybody. And fuck, I don't know, I don't know where I'd be or, or what this world would look like without that guy. Because, I mean, with all the shitty news these days, at least through my own you know, tunnel vision of what I see when I log onto the internet that's advertising is customized just for me. <laughs> Everything that that guy made is the one agreeable beacon of light shining in this day and age. It's people on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, get fucking pumped for trailers, and that guy had a hand in all of it. Yeah, kudos to you, Stanley. I'm gonna miss that dude, but he was fucking old. It was time. <laughs> Alright, R.I.P. Excelsior!